It's time for Mac Break Weekly. Jason, Alex, and Andy are here. Jason has his reviews of the uh, new Apple hardware. We'll talk about that. Of course, new versions of iOS and macOS are out. What are the new features? Uh, before we get into the show, though, uh, do me a little bit of a favor, would you? We just have a few more days left on our Twit survey. This is how we get to know you better. It's uh, it's quick. It's painless. And, of course, it's not obligatory, but we do appreciate any information you want to give us. Just go to twit.tv slash survey23. It helps us make better programming for you. It helps us uh, tell our advertisers what they're getting when they when they uh, buy a Twit show, and it really makes a difference to our business. Twit.tv slash survey23. If you would, take it uh, right now. Mac Break Weekly is next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Mac Break Weekly, episode 854, recorded Tuesday, January 24th, 2023, in the pocket of Big Leo. This episode of Mac Break Weekly is brought to you by Melissa. Over 10,000 clients worldwide in industries like retail, education, healthcare, insurance, finance, and government rely on Melissa for full spectrum data quality and ID verification software. Make sure your customer contact data is up to date. Get started today with 1,000 records cleaned for free at melissa.com slash twit. Thanks for listening to this show as an ad-supported network. We are always looking for new partners with products and services that will benefit our qualified audience. Are you ready to grow your business? Reach out to advertise at twit.tv and launch your campaign now. It's time for Mac Break Weekly, coming to you from the beautiful Twit Studios in uh, beautiful East Side Petaluma, sponsored by ACI Learning. Hello, everybody. Leo Laporte here, joining us now from left to right, my left, your right, Mr. Alex Lindsay, Office Hours.Global. Hello, hello. Hello, Media. hello, Alex. How's it we, going? Uh, I was really, I asked Alex last night, I said, I texted him, I said, let's do a, a mid journey demo because you're doing these cool images. And uh, we were all set to do it, and then what happened? It went down. Uh, the slash went down. So the the uh, the the, the Discord's still there. The Discord's there, but it said, and Discord has this status update. So it'll always. I mean, I mean, the Mid Journey Discord server always has a status update, and it just it'll just tell you what's going on. And and so you, I went to it really quickly, and it just said we're having an incident. <laughs> you know, oh and, and we will not be able to. <laughs> we will not be able to. Uh, the slashes will not work until. The incident has been resolved. I do so note I, that they're actually I mean, having an event right now called Painting with Peter Morbacher. That must be kind of <laughs> unfortunate for Peter. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Uh, 1,200 people there. There's a lot of people. So the way MidJourney works is very kind of interesting is it uses Discord. You don't have uh, have it running on your system. They run a server. And it's free for the first few images, and then you have to start paying for it. But you pay for it. Do you pay for the full version or 200 images I, a month? I pay for the pro version. Yeah, that's yeah, what I the, yeah. So I, 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 yeah. So I, I, otherwise it was adding up. Like I, I was using it too much, and yeah. so, um, so yeah. I, I, uh, I paid forty eight dollars for the year. So whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, that's forty eight dollars a month. Forty eight dollars a month. Oh, for the a year. month. Um, wow. Yeah. So I paid five hundred and some dollars, Holy and then cow. I just have it for a year. But I, but now I have thirty hours of of server time, and. I can do it privately. It, it, the way I was using it, it was it was fifty dollars. It, it was I was going month to month doing. Um, I want to the the standard or whatever, which is thirty bucks or thirty dollars a month, and then I want to pay another twenty dollars a month to keep it private because I don't want to you know just 
don't want to put it, you know, put it all. Yeah, you know, I would pay for that because the only so, thing I don't like is you 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 do your slash prompt, and then everybody can see what you got. But you can pay twenty bucks to do, to not to have that be the case. So now I'm paying fifty bucks a month, and then I looked at the pro, and it was sixty dollars a month. But if I paid for a year, it was forty eight, and I was like, well, I can pay less than I'm paying now if I pay it all at one time. I don't think Mid Journey's going anywhere, you know. So I, I felt Good like it you. was a safe. Maybe it did investment. go somewhere, though. We don't know yet. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we'll do it at a later date, although I think we're going to try to get Alex to do it for our Ask the Tech Guys show on Sunday, because I yeah, think I'll get that would be kind of cool for the audience there. Andy Anako here from GBH in Baston. Hello, Andrew. <laughs> hello. Uh, hello, Leo. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad to be doing like a show or like a, a, a category where I don't have to talk about massive layoffs. That's it's such, <gasps> it's such a fun, fun well, actually, space for me to be in right now. There's an interesting angle on that. We'll talk about it. We were uh, talking on Sunday about why Apple hasn't had massive layoffs. We'll mm. get to that in a moment. But first, I should introduce Jason Snell. Sixcolors.com. Hello. The incomparable Jason Snell. Hello. It's good to see you. I'm uh, relieved to be here. This is like the end of a, a long journey of uh, having received a MacBook Pro last week and having this whole thing stretch out of our work all weekend and write your review and Ugh. and then Monday and it post the review and do a podcast. And then Tuesday, I like I'm crossing the finish line now uh, to hear, be Ooh. here. And this is like my last download of me and this giant laptop that I um, so let's talk about it since you got it and review it. Here's your uh, video Mac, M2 MacBook Pro and Mac Mini Q and A that you did with Dan. So you got both of them. Yeah, Dan got the Mac Mini and I got the um, the MacBook Pro and we reviewed them. And then yeah, we did a little live video yesterday among the many things going on. And we wrote, you know, as we do, we wrote yeah. words in, and put them on the actually, internet. There's a way too much stuff to talk about today because Apple also updated iOS and macOS. To add security key capability, we're going to talk about that a little mm -hmm. later. But let's talk about the, let's start with the MacBook Pro. That's the one you have. Tell us about the the one that you got. Is it the 14 or the 16? I have the 16 here. Apple decided, knowing that I like small laptops, to pull a prank on me and send uh -huh. me the largest laptop that they could uh -oh. make. Uh, which is fine. I mean, what the, the truth is, if you know what the M1 MacBook Pros were like, these are those. Like, externally, you couldn't tell the difference between them. It really is a, it's our first... Uh, Apple Silicon, you know, boring speed bump release, right? Where uh, these, <laughs> and not that they're not that they're bad. They're remarkable computers. They're just not particularly new. They're just what you expect uh, from last year or from two years ago, I guess. Except faster. So they they you know really the story is that it's the M2 Pro chip and the M2 Max chip. And therefore, you get uh, you get more speed, and there's some more features, and there's a higher RAM capacity, and there's more memory bandwidth, and all of the stuff on the inside. But in terms of like how it looks on the outside, and the fact that it's got that beautiful screen, and all those ports, and support for many external displays, all that stuff is the same more or less. There's a little bit like the HDMI port um, is 2.1 and is much more capable. Uh, but mostly, you know, and it goes up to 96 gigs of RAM now. Uh, so if you want to max this out, you know, if you're Alex Lindsay and you want all those GPUs, those 30-odd GPUs and uh, 96 gigs of RAM and whatever else, you can do that on either model, 14 or the 16. Um, but it's, you know, it's an incremental improvement like Apple does when they're they're not always doing big leaps. They often are just doing that year-by-year -year incremental improvement thing, and that's what these are. So here's your uh, graphs. You have single-core Geekbench, you have multi-core Geekbench, and you have Geekbench GPU plus an Xcode and Final Cut 
uh, benchmarks. It's better in every regard, right? I mean, it's not. Uh, well, oh yeah, ex- yeah, so yeah. I mean, the M2 over M1, just in general, every core is about sixteen uh, percent faster. Yeah. So you get you get that nineteen hundred Geekbench over seventeen hundred Geekbench because every M2 is a, a, on every computer is an M2. Every M1 is an M1. Like the 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 speed of these, no matter what computer it is, it basically doesn't vary. They're all about the same. Um, but this one has lots of cores, right? It's got eight performance cores instead of the four that are in yeah, the in the base M2. On the, on and the it's multi, got lots of GPUs. On the multi-core benchmark, it really is considerably better even than the M2 MacBook Air. And yeah, because you've got faster cores and there are more of them because right. it's four. Also, interesting decision that they made here to do the four uh, efficiency cores, which means that there's always, that's how they get the great battery life. I mean, I killed the battery in two and a half hours, but that's because I maxed out the CPU cores. Nobody would actually ever do that <laughs> so before for two they and a half had, hours straight. So before they had two efficiency cores? Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and so these efficiency cores, performance. yeah, and, and exactly, right. Okay. So, so four efficiency cores basically means if you're just sitting at your computer not rendering anything or anything and just sort of thinking, right, like all the background tasks that happen or very simple tasks, things that are fairly lightweight, it's using these low power processors to do that processor cores. And it's only when you're really stress test the thing that it spins up the performance cores. Performance cores are where we get all of these benchmark results, right? They're the ones that say how fast it is. But the truth is most of the time you're not using them. And with, with two, if you did a little bit, it would have to kick one of those power hungry things into gear in order to uh, fulfill your need. But with four, it's even less that you're going to kick into the performance cores and that all goes down to battery life, which, which matters so much if you're using one of these laptops, not plugged in, it'll, it'll, and that's how they get those amazing, you know, they quote what 22 hours on the 16 inch model of watching a video, which is an artificial test, but they're all artificial. Um, but it, it is, it's a huge battery and a chip that really is good at saving battery. And so as a result, the battery on life on these things is going to be remarkable. So that's an important point. I mean, if you're, if you're looking at raw benchmark scores, that's one thing. Uh, but the fact that they've doubled the number of efficiency cores in the M2, for most people in, in most use cases, except for those high performance cases, that's probably a good thing. Obviously, that's what Apple decided. Uh, so we should, we should improve efficiency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have heard some say that the M2 is really just an interim, a stopgap between the M1 and the M3, which will be a three nanometer process, we think, the TSMC three nanometer process. And that's where the speed jump is going to be more notable. Um, yeah, it, it could be that this is a this is just a small step, and then there's also some speculation. And I I am one of the lead speculators, I guess, that they're going to actually leap over the the A16 chip that they introduced in last fall, uh, which was not a three nanometer chip, right? It was a it was a they called it four, but it's really the the new fifth five nanometer uh, process. Uh, and and when the M series is coming out every year and a half, and the and the A series is coming out every year it kind of makes you assume that they're going to leap forward at some point. And so it may be that the M3 is using their brand new, you know, late 2023 cores and who knows what they'll choose to do there. But I I think that even, I don't think that we're ever going to see that Intel to M1 quantum leap anymore. It's still going to be incremental, but Apple does like throwing in new ingredients from time to time uh, where you get a big, you know, like there's a new neural engine and, or, or there's a new, uh, GPU core or something like that; those things happen too. But this is not nothing dramatic like that. It's really just 
It's very much like an iPhone update. You know how we do the iPhone updates every year and it's like, oh, it's 12% faster or it's 18% faster. That's basically what this is. It's going from the previous year's uh, iPhone cores to this year's iPhone cores is basically what's happening here. Did Dan... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, actually, Alex, I want you to get in here because this is more for you than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think that... It's going to be really interesting. I, I think that the, the fact that Apple could control their destiny at this point with their chip is a big deal. Like before they've been dependent on the GPUs and the CPUs before, and we've talked about this in the past, have, have really been something they can't control the speed. They can't control those. And a lot of times that speed is lagged behind, you know, where they want it to be. And they had to just kind of tap dance with the software and try to make things more efficient. And they weren't able to build that. So I think that we're going to see that. I also think a lot of the speed upgrades are going to come from developers really following you know, like, you know, not really taking full advantage of the chips and um, taking full advantage of the architectures that Apple gives them. And so we're going to keep on seeing big speed bumps. We're seeing things where, hey, we released a new product and it's six times faster. <laughs> what that meant was not that Apple went six times faster. It's they, they, they started looking at the code and figuring out what is slowing this down. And if we if we can um, figure out how to do it inside of the that Apple ecosystem, um, you know, we can get a lot more performance. Again, that doesn't affect text prop you know products or or it doesn't affect electron style product products but when you're talking about real in my world when you're talking about 3d and video and audio um you know them you know being able to do that is going to be a, a big deal and i i still think that not only are they going to have a, a really good process but they're going to have a you know the, a lot of processors for the mac pro whenever it comes out <laughs> yeah. so we, we are a little delayed right now but i think that um, I think it's going to Well, be that was actually, I'm not sure if that's true because it didn't German say we're not going to see an Ultra, uh, M2 Ultra, or or do you think that'll be what we'll see? No, the Ultra is the only thing we're going to see. What he oh. said is we're not going to see that quad, which whatever, is like the dual whatever's Ultra. Whatever's above Ultra. Okay. Extreme. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the Ultra, which was introduced in the Mac Studio last year as an M1, is supposedly the basis of the Mac Pro. It's unclear whether the Mac Studio will get... A, a revision as well but the it sounds like that ultra chip is going to be what's in the mac pro okay um did dan like the uh, mini what did he have to say about that that seems to me actually in some ways more interesting since it is redesigned yeah and dan i i um talked to apple and we were like who's going to review what and i was like well if you got a mac mini um <laughs> dan should review it because dan's been in the market for a mac mini he's really been <laughs> wanting to look at those yeah, well, and, you know, we don't generous get, fella we, we don't get to keep him but he like has a vested interest in right. this and has been thinking about it a lot i think what's interesting first off is that it's not one mac mini right it's two it's the m2 and the m2 pro and the m2 pro is interesting because it's the first time we've seen that that pro level chip on the desktop. Apple's done it in laptops before, but on the desktop, you either had the Max and Ultra on the Mac Studio, or you had the M1 base chip on the iMac and the Mac Mini. And so with this this new Mac Mini, you get the M2 base level if you want it, or and that's the one that's $599, which is actually a pretty great price. But for, I think it starts $1299, you get that, that M2 Pro chip, and now you're really, I mean, that's a very impressive system. Like, that that for anybody who's like, I need a little bit more than the M2 can offer, um, the M2 Pro really does open a lot of possibilities on that on that Mac Mini. So, so you've essentially got two kinds of Mac Mini now. You've got the kind of base; it's enough performance for me. I don't need more. And then, without going up to Mac Studio level, you can get this thing that slides in, sort of in between them, which is the M2 Pro Mini. Yeah, and that's really like when you looked at the Mac Studio, kind of entry level for 
all intents and purposes, entry level is about three thousand bucks. Um, if you're saying, well, I could spend two thousand or or twenty two hundred bucks or somewhere in that range, um, you know, the, the I think that the the Mac Mini Two Pro uh, or M Two Pro is is really fits as as Jason said really really nicely into that into that camp. <sighs> How many did you buy? I've only bought one, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I I just want to see Get. it. Yeah, uh, no, I, I'm 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 waiting on some stuff, and when when the when the money rolls in, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a bunch John, more. Did so, we um, order so one? Did we? No, we haven't ordered one yet. I have. You want? It one? might show up during the show. Uh, oh. Maybe we'll do an unbox. It's it's. It, I got the email this morning from Apple that said it's going. Today is the day, even though it, yeah. So um, so it's it's supposed to show up today sometime. Actually, um, that's and, why uh, we didn't order one. John's going to the store today because they are in store. Yeah, I got. Yeah, I got the base unit. Um that I want to test with uh, Zoom ISO specifically to just see what, what does eight outputs look like from, uh, from that, from that product. And so, so I'm, uh, so that's why I got the eight, the really the most basic one I could get, um, which I was going to buy anyway. So I saved a hundred dollars by, by waiting because it was six ninety nine when it was, when it was the M1 and it's five ninety nine with the M2, but seven seventy five after you add the Apple care and shipping yeah. and, taxes <laughs> so. i'm actually uh, you know i had of course in my card i had all of the different versions of everything and and i actually <laughs> even ordered a, a macbook pro and then i canceled it almost i ordered it last week on the show you didn't notice but i was busily tapping away and then i canceled it <laughs> because i'm going to be the one who waits for the uh m3 i think i have an m2 macbook air i should be clear i'm not like yeah I'm not like an animal, but I, but I don't, I'm not using Intel. Lisa did actually, Lisa did buy and we'll get in a couple of days, actually, uh, her, uh, I think the 31st, cause she did a BTO, her, uh, MacBook air 14, MacBook pro 14. I'm glad so. Alex mentioned Intel because I think that that's actually the story here. I know that all of us who are so tied into Apple and tech are like, oh, at the Intel transition, it's basically over now, which it is. I mean, other than the Mac Pro, the that high-end Mac Mini, they, they were selling one that was the Intel one from 2018. They kept it in the price list because they knew they needed a model with more ports and more performance, and that's what the M2 Pro model gets them. But, like, realistically... Most of the people who will be buying either this Mac Mini or the MacBook Pro are probably going to be people who, you know, they bought a late model Intel laptop. And and even though the the M1s looked really good, they're like, yeah, but I just bought this laptop and I and I and it's a process of transition. I'm just going to sit it out. I think those people are are going to be in the market for that M2 MacBook Pro. I think there are a lot of people like me who've got it like a 2018 Mac Mini who are like, eh, you know, I, I, I passed the M1 by, but then I look at this M2 and I'm like, well, maybe, okay, maybe this is my update. update. And I think that's the truth of it, right? I, sorry to be a broken record on this, but like we all get focused on like this year versus last year. But the truth is so, so many people out there are holding on to a late model Intel MacBook Pro that they spent a lot of money on. Yes. And it's only now that I think we're getting to the point where they're going to start looking at this and saying, well, it's not the first generation of the chip transition and things seem to have been smooth. And now they've spent that time, you know, amortizing the cost of that Intel laptop. And now maybe they'll make the jump. And if because if you're on an M1, like, yeah, it's incrementally faster. But unless you will pay, you know, any price for any performance boost, your M1 MacBook Pro is going to be great. So really, it's the people coming from Intel. 
Intel yeah, and yeah. we should say Intel the, the, Max, the, not Intel Intel PCs. Max, yes. Yeah, because yes, they can come too. They're welcome. They're welcome. But, uh, come on over. <laughs> a lot of them say, well, over. I'm well, not giving up my Intel PC because uh, there are faster chips on uh, in the Intel side. Plus, I love Windows. Not, which... not from Intel, but ironically. But yes, uh, <laughs> indeed. No, I, I'm saying, yeah, if you've got an Intel MacBook Pro or an Intel Mac Mini or, or honestly a, an iMac, right, where you might look at the studio display or another third-party display and a Mac Mini and say, maybe that's my replacement. I think, I think those are going to be big markets for these products more than it is that incremental M1 to M2 person. That's, well, uh, that's the think- excuse I gave last week for why Apple's weird comparisons during the uh, video were all to previous like three-year-old Intel Macs as opposed to the <laughs> M1. Um, and then there are many who said, well, that's also because it's the M1 comparison is so such a small speed bump. They didn't really want to emphasize I mean, both are true. That. I think they're I think, both true, and, yeah. And, and rubbing it in, though, to the people who still have an Intel machine, like going, it's a lot faster than what you had now. You know, it just, we just like to remind you that this is the time to move forward. Well, they, uh, yeah. I mean, and Apple I think, would, every, well, every, you know, in, uh, Microsoft did this, too. They really would like you to be on a modern version of their hardware and software because they want to continue developing yeah, I mean, there. And they don't want to put more I mean, time I into still, Intel. I have a 20, uh, 2012 Mac Mini that I still, I'm still using. So, so like below my my M1 uh, Mac Mini, uh, and so the thing is, is the the great thing about these these boxes is there's always things to do with them. And if you're not using them, like I just use them for what they're good for. We never bought, I never bought it expecting it to run, you know, the Vinci, you know, Resolve or Cinema 4D. So it's not a it's not that big of a deal. And and so these things, if you're depends on what you're doing, like the fact that you need to switch from a uh, your current Mac Mini or iMac or whatever to something bigger only is only if you're doing something that that will matter. Um, I will say some of the operating stuff works, operating system stuff works better as well. Um, but the, the thing is, is I still think that when people think about these, I mean, I my my wife has a bunch of laptops and I have mostly just, I have a Mac studio and a bunch of Mac minis. And when I go over to her desk, I'm always like the helper was you know, like, I like I, all this screen and this thing. And like, like, this is such a clutter. Like, you know, unless you're going to go somewhere, if you're going to leave the house. I always feel like, you know, I, I, I'm not a couch person either. I do not like sitting on my laptop with my couch on a couch. And so, so I, I like having, having it there, but I think that people should really look at these Mac minis really seriously about like, how much do you really need or want to be going somewhere with it? And even with my studio, I put it in a case and take it to the office. Like I'm not. Well, <laughs> I think that maybe is a good argument for having a MacBook air and a Mac mini, you know, I, I at home, I have, a I Mac have an studio air. desktop. Or I have a, I have a, I spent a I lot have more an time Intel. on, my, my, on my, my portable. You're just you're a different user, mm. honestly, and uh, Alex. You, uh, I don't sit down at my desk all that often. I have a very nice Mac Studio there, and it's very fast. But I always have my uh, Air with me, you know, because I'm yeah, going and, and around I think the house. That, and, yeah. I do that. I, I use I use my iPad for that, or my phone mostly to do that. Um, and I have to admit, I do it because I don't want to work all the time. Yeah. <laughs> when I want to, when I when I walk out of the <laughs> when I walk out of my office, I just want it to be like. See, to me, computing behind. is a hobby. My work is talking. Right. <laughs> so well, it's a hobby. I don't want to talk when office. I get home, <laughs> but I do want to compute. I do want to. Well, I can always walk into my office and, and do it. But I, I, I again, yeah, that's. I spend a lot of time in my office, so it's it's, it's it yeah. fills, fills up the time. Yeah, that's so. Actually, yeah. one of the questions you answer in your review, Jason, is if you have a MacBook Air, uh, even even the M1. MacBook Air, should you really consider a, one of these new MacBook Pros? I I mean, 
MacBook Air, I think that there is an argument to be made. I'm a big fan of the MacBook Air that most people don't need a MacBook Pro, right? Like the, yeah. the, it's the, enough the, M- the M2 Air and even the M1 Air are so powerful that you will never... I have this thing where I have uh, friends of mine who are buying like a new laptop for their kid who's off at of college or whatever, and they, they ask Jason about it, right? And, they, and they're like worried... I, and I realize that how history kind of sticks with people who are not super technical. They're worried that if they buy the low end, the you know the cheapest model, that it's not going to be able to do the job. That it's very rapidly going to get slow and be unreliable and not be able to do whatever their kid is going to want to do with it. And you know there was a time when that was true, but this you know an M1 or M2 MacBook Air, it's literally going to do unless your kid is doing like 3d modeling or something like it it is more than 99 percent of the people need so the reason you buy a macbook pro might be because you're a pro level user and you need lots of ram or you need lots of gpu that's absolutely true but i think the primary reason you buy a macbook pro is you want the bigger screen you want it's a big beautiful screen it's the best display that apple has ever made for a mac it is the same one that was in the last generation but it's like it's hdr because it's got the uh the mini led backlighting it's got all those ports so it supports multiple displays. If you want to dock to two monitors on your desktop, guess what? MacBook Air can't do that, but the MacBook Pro can. It's got the SD card reader. It's got like, it's got lots of other features other than that it's really, really fast. And I think that for a lot of people, that's the reason they get the MacBook Pro is because they want that big, beautiful screen, big, better battery, and uh, all of those ports with all that flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, So I will sit my uh, M2 MacBook Air next to Lisa's brand new MacBook Pro when it comes 14-inch, and I'll do a head-to-head comparison. Maybe it will uh, wow me. But I think for most of us, I would counsel patience. I think the M3... I mean, there's new screen technologies out there. Uh, there are rumors Apple might be looking at OLED. Um, it just might be worth I mean, holding the, off the if bottom... you have patience, if you can be patient. Yeah, you always buy the computer right before you need it. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's, the, that's always the best thing is to hold out as long as you can. I think that the next natural place to buy it would be uh, middle of June. You know, like that's usually the if you are going to buy something, if you think you can wait, if you can't wait, just buy what you need. But if you can wait, usually the next time we see new machines um, would be sometime before the middle of June. Then the chances of seeing something again probably wouldn't be until November. So those are the, you know, the, the drops are sometime in the spring or then everything slows down and then there's an iPhone announcement. And then you potentially see something at the end. of. Well, the we're probably a year off from an M3. I'm mean, almost certainly at least a year off from an M3. Right. Yeah. Mark Gurman says late this year. And I, I, I just kind of don't believe it. I think that Apple has seen enough of a delay in everything that they've been doing lately, that the M3 feels more like a year from now than it does this fall. It would also mean potentially that they were rolling out Mac processors based on the iPhone processor at the same time as the iPhone processor, which, you know, they really haven't done that yet. And I don't know if they've got the chip design and chip fabbing bandwidth to fab a whole bunch of iPhone processors at the same time they're going to build a next generation Mac processor. I don't know. That's why I I wonder if M3 is really more a 2024 kind of story. I'm willing to wait till uh, even June uh, 2024. And uh, I think that'll give them time to do a redesign. There might be a, a newer screen, a better screen. I think there will be a better screen. Uh, I think if you, if you if you have an M if you have any kind of M one or M two that's solid, that you already bought that solidly, I yeah. would definitely wait until yeah. summer of twenty twenty four before I upgraded again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I didn't even want to get the M two, but I spilled as you know spilled coffee into my M one and uh, <laughs> oh, well. oh well oh well. 
These things happen. I got Apple Care Plus this time, <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, the guy looked at me that, and actually, said, that's actually, you don't want to repair this. This is going to cost you more than a new one. Andy? No, I'm, I'm just going to say that that's one reason why uh, you, you shouldn't get yourself locked into one uh, one form factor thinking that well, I've always bought desktops. Why am I going to why, why am I considering buying a laptop? Well, for the reasons that you explained that oftentimes you get more use out of it because you, you, don't, you don't think that you the only reason why you don't use a Mac outside of your outside of your office is because you can't. But the other reason is but it also works the same way in reverse, where if you can only afford one computer and you really know what your uses are. Absolutely, a laptop is the best bang for the buck, but you can save a lot of money and maybe get a lot more longevity by getting a desktop simply for the reasons that all that you also mentioned, which is that a desktop, it's safe. Unless it gets stolen, it's on your desk. You have to really put your shoulder into it in order to spill a beverage and take out a desktop. Uh, and so th- th- this, I think that's the reason why uh, that plus the fact that there, there's no mechanical key switches that I'm dealing with. There's I'm not plugging things into it and out it all the time. That's why... I'll get 10 years out of a Mac mini and it will still be working like a top uh, by the time I'm ready to retire it. And for that reason, I'm not going to retire it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I speak as when I say I'm not using a laptop, I use a laptop 80 to 90% of the time for 30 years. <laughs> like, like, like it was, it's not like I didn't, didn't ever do it. I just don't want to do it again. Like I just found during COVID, I was like, I do not want to do this ever again. And I got used to not having that and just decided I wouldn't. So, um, but I still have, you know, my iPad is what I usually use the most. And I take my iPad and my little air laptop when I travel thinking I'm going to use the laptop. And the only thing I use it for is zoom for office hours. <laughs> like that's the one thing that I turned it on for. And then, it, <laughs> then I, then I put it away and I use the iPad the rest of the day. Uh, all right. Um, of course, immediately after we closed the show yesterday, Apple announced another product. <laughs> the return of the HomePod. And notice that they did uh, a video. They, 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 uh, they released it with a video. <sighs> I didn't even up. watch the video. So the one, nice. <laughs> it was actually a lot of, it was I was so mad in the video. It's like, could you not have done this at the same time? Yeah. What, what was the, what's the deal with it? Like a three hour delay? I don't understand. Uh, anyway, it's a weird thing to re-release when they discontinued the two hundred ninety nine dollar HomePod, full size HomePod. Uh, the consensus was it's just too expensive, didn't sell well. They put all their efforts into the HomePod Mini, and then lo and behold, all of a sudden, oh yeah, no, we really like the HomePod. We're going to do another one, or is it the same? What's the going fact on? that it, it's not the same, it's it's new. It's I think the innards are based on the on the um, HomePod Mini, but it's you know yeah because it, it has a, a temperature and humidity sensor. Like yeah, right, and it's and it's using an Apple Watch processor instead of a phone processor. But I, I they did re, they decontented it right, like car people say they took some tweeters out of it and all of that. But the price so is only fifty it down. Cheap, it's basically they're making it cheaper. In, in I, well, I think that's the thing is that they, I think maybe some of the consensus was wrong that Apple actually is kind of happy with that $50 down price point that they were basically selling the old one at before it went away. There's a lot of speculation because there, there were a bunch of them that failed that maybe Apple realized that they needed to redesign it to, for it to be cheaper for them to make and that they had this home strategy where they were coming out with the HomePod mini which has a thread radio and has those sensors in it. And so what they really did is just say, let's do an update of this thing. So it's presumably cheaper to make and is basically in line technically with the mini. 
as part of our our home strategy. So I, I think so, those of us looking at the discontinuation of the HomePod and saying, I think they got it wrong uh, and they, they got the price wrong and it was way too expensive, which is what we all thought, right? It was, it used I, I think to be Apple 400, not 300, right? It was 100 I think it was 350. It was 350? I think it was okay. 350 mm. and now it's 300. Okay. But like, I, I, I wonder if that wasn't it and it was that it was not as reliable and that it cost Apple too much to make it. And so now it's back. So I guess that $300 price point, because again, it's a good speaker. I assume this new one's going to sound about as good as the existing one, but $600 for a sp- stereo pair is not an impulse buy. It also, though, I, I got one little Apple marketing theory here, which is, you know what's, what Apple really likes is you get people in for the $99 HomePod uh, mini, and then you say, or you could upgrade. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of Apple customers yeah. do the upgrade. They pay for that upgrade. When I, and I bought the HomePod, the first one, um, yeah. and it's, it's probably in use in my house maybe six to eight hours a day. Like it, it is like it, it's a workhorse. It sits in the kitchen and um, it, it, it's used all the time by the whole family um, for everything from mostly music, but, but other things, timers, timers are probably the things. It's probably used. Well, that's just like an Amazon Echo or a Google, uh, Google home device. It, it, it's just about timers, it, yeah. right? So, timers and then, um, do you listen to music on it? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, in a kitchen, it's great. Yeah, you know, like it, it sounds great in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and um, and we bought two minis and they ended up in show in, in like a cupboard somewhere. Like they just didn't they never uh, they didn't have enough noise. They didn't have enough to fill the room. They didn't <laughs> have enough. Have enough noise. Whatever. Just, they need no, more noise. Yeah, there's more noise. Clearly. No, they didn't, yeah. They weren't well, loud that's, enough. That's true. They, they weren't loud <laughs> enough. And they were. And, you know, and I had hoped to. You know, I, I, I don't understand why the minis don't kind of fit into that kind of Atmos thing where you can put a bunch of speakers around or whatever. But. Uh, evidently, these the stereo pairs, at least with the older ones, I was told, are really, really good at at Atmos style. You know, converting the Atmos to something that sounds surround. I haven't tried it. I might. I, may, I might. Ironically, um, you can't yeah. pair the old one with a new one. You got to buy uh, two new ones if yeah. you want a stereo two, pair. Different, yeah, different. Which is too bad because so, I have uh, I have a lot. I have two. Yeah old ones but but it kind of died i mean i have to admit that i'm 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 in the market for some more of those because the little the minis did not work for me and so i was just like well that's all the speakers i'm going to have we ended up using the minis i have minis everywhere in the house i think i bought six or seven or something so they're everywhere in the house yeah well, I think it's also going to be interesting when we see the teardown of this new hardware that it's the, the one of the things that was notorious about the old uh, HomePod was that you've got to rip it apart in order to fix anything. And not that not that Apple's going to be making anything easier for the user to fix, but they have to fix these things themselves, too. So maybe they are trying to part of the part of the reason why they discontinued it was not because they didn't believe in a more expensive HomePod, but because they belatedly realized that it wasn't being not being a runaway hit they should make some adjustments to how they manufacture this so that they can make they can continue to make this as a profitable item uh it's it's uh i mean does uh matt it's not an upgrade for matter that would have been a, a big tip-off but the 16.1 i think they've, i think they, re, they recently did, a, did an update to the os so that all home pods can use the matter standard which is absolutely essential um i did see i did read something about spatial audio but i don't i'm not familiar enough with the older home pods to see if that one uh supported spatial audio as well if that's a, also a firmware update yeah. I, when i when i look at the differences that people are reporting about i see a lot of cues that this is definitely something that's ready for the next five years and when i refamiliarize myself with the old home pod i can see a lot of red flags that i would need to follow up on to see oh was this one of the reasons why they, they thought they thought they'd be able they'd be able to iterate it faster they thought they'd be selling better they thought 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the new one is basically a 2023 adjustment uh, for the global macroeconomic situation. Yeah. If you have a hardware that's failing under warranty and you have to fix it, I mean, that's painful, right? That you are losing money on those with every time you have to, you have to fix it. And I think that some of that was happening and Andy's absolutely right. I, I think the irony of a lot of Apple's improvements in terms of repair are people are like, oh, Apple's getting with the program about making the things more repairable. Yeah. And I think we all forget that the num- the company, the largest company that has to repair <laughs> Apple products is Apple. And when they do it under warranty, you know, they're the ones who have to pay and it hurts the product's uh, profit margin. So Apple is motivated to make those repairs as cheap and easy as possible, too. And, yeah, I, I do wonder if maybe the true story of that original HomePod is more about its high price, low margins and a fail, you know, a failure, a product failure that Apple had to keep fixing that made it even less profitable and that they've redesigned this one. We'll when, see how when, it goes. When you say failure, you're saying a physical failure, like a, like yeah, a, like a lemon, like a lemon yeah, almost lemon. a lot of, a, a lot of talk about like a capacitor or something in them that would blow. Oh. And so even after not necessarily under warranty, I think some of them did blow. We never under had warranty, a problem that, with either of ours. I haven't had a problem with mine, yeah. but I have had friends who have had, and who knows if it's about the power in their houses or if it's about their environment. But right. I've heard of a lot of people who over the last, especially in the last year or so, and keep in mind, this is not that old a product where the, where it's just mm. either dying or becoming completely like unreliable and rebooting and all of that. And it's like, it's not, it's not great. You could see why Apple might have said, look, we need to make changes for matter and we need to make changes for, you know, on the processor. This is the wrong processor to have in here. It's also maybe possible that they didn't want that iPhone processor that was in that thing uh, to continue to be made, right? They were running out of them and they're like, can we make this? Because yeah. now it's using a, an Apple Watch processor, which they've got uh, probably lots of for cheap. And uh, that makes the product uh, more profitable for them, too. So I guess the only real question is how does it sound? Has anybody reviewed the sound yet? Are they arriving today? You know, uh, some journalists got to go to a room that they couldn't describe and describe what they heard there, which is exactly (laughs) what they did at WWDC when they launched the original one. I was taken into a room that I couldn't describe. It's so weird, but now they're going to be shipping. And so we'll, we'll get some legitimate, honest real question. If they can make them for less, uh, and make it more capable and matter and all of that. And uh, and it still sounds as good because that was one thing they really touted on that original HomePod is we have we have figured out a way. Yeah. Now, you said there are fewer tweeters. Yeah, I think there are three fewer or something tweeters. They had, and a, then, ridic- like, they had is- a ridiculous number in the, old, yeah. in the original. It was, what, nine? Yeah, I, I get the sense that they, they asked the designers to tone it down a little this time, right? Like, like look, <laughs> we need this to be cheaper. You can't have... You can't have all those tweeters in there make it work and, it had a uh, remarkable number of drivers for a device of that size that's just not done yeah. typically uh doesn't make it sound better uh, necessarily because uh, there are f- you know the f- limitations of physics of that enclosure and the size overall um but but that's yeah. good that they had that many drivers like yes maybe they didn't need them yeah, I think I think that's right on the point. Audio, audio is audio hardware is famous for doubling the cost of something to make it sound five percent better. Right, and so there really is an upper limit to how much you can put into a speaker or anything before it's something that most people are going to appreciate. And given how much money and how much uh, uh, marketing PR they've put into computational audio, they should be saying they they, they shouldn't be saying, "Oh my God, we may, we managed to put eighteen more tweeters and something called uh, a, a twoffer." 
receiver which of our own design to, <laughs> to, to capture specific uh, frequencies, they should basically be saying that we have very, very, not necessarily, not necessarily we have very ordinary hardware, but the magic of this, 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 this audio grapefruit that we're selling you is that we use computing power inside there to understand what environment is being placed in and to shape the audio to make sure it gives you the optimal placement. That's something that the HomePod uh, uh, Mini did not do, but the original HomePod did, and supposedly the new one does as well, yeah. is that room sensing. It also has five horn-loaded beam-forming tweeter arrays, four far-field beam-forming microphones, and it supports spatial audio, uh, which is interesting because it's you know with one speaker you can get spatial audio. I guess you can. It, yeah, because it can calculate those things. Obviously, the spatial audio, I think, works better with two. I have um, talked to some folks that have had both a, a, a discrete sound system and the, and the speakers, and they said it was a solid 85 90% of the, yeah. the quality of the I, discrete I bought, speakers. I uh, bought a pretty good job. Pretty good ELAC bookshelf speakers for roughly the same price, maybe a little more. And they're, you know, legendary for their uh, quality. Andrew Jones designed, he's considered one of the. Uh, legends and speaker design so it'd be interesting to compare them but i don't know if it's worth 600 bucks to compare <laughs> i don't know if i want to buy right. two of them of course i did yeah. buy the airpods max which was 550 dollars. so maybe i'm stupid enough to buy those would you pay is it it's a good it, one of the things it'll do is pair with your apple tv for a home theater experience right yeah it'll even do eARC. so theoretically if you have other things going into the tv it will go back out to the Apple TV and then wirelessly deliver those oh, to the HomePods. That's nice. Um, and I've heard, you know, I think for, depending on your use case, that can be perfect or it can be bad. I mean, it really depends on sort of yeah. if you need ultra low latency for gaming, it's probably not for you. But in terms of like just having it attached to a cable box or something, it's probably OK. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's really something to think about. The, part of the value of a lot of these wireless speakers, Apple's, Google's, whatever's, is that um when you add, you can you can buy a you can buy an inexpensive ninety nine dollar speaker, and you have okay this is my smart speaker and this is something to give me a little bit bit of audio in the kitchen and then you buy another ninety nine dollar speaker and now you compare those as you compare those as stereo which gives you a much much better uh, much much better environment and then maybe you buy a couple more and now you find that instead of having to crank up the audio to really appreciate the music like in the bedroom or the living room you would enjoy it at a lower volume and it still sounds much better. So it's a really good investment. If I, if I had a thousand dollars to spend on speakers uh, starting from zero, I'm not sure that I'd buy a, a pair of like $800 speakers. I think I would buy as many decent inexpensive speakers that work with each other as possible. Interesting. Yeah, we have, so in the bedroom, we have two HomePod minis, one on Lisa's side, one on mine, and we listen to music and books, mostly books on there. Uh, that seems like that would be a good replacement for those. Um, the cats step on the top all the time, so I have to have them upside down. That's I don't I don't know. That's, that's, another, yeah. that's another test. Yeah, so you, you put should, those little, the, you put a, those little. A, review, a review. A review of these things should include like here are pictures of a FLIR camera. So you see that? No, don't worry. The top of it is not warm enough to attract kitties. <laughs> they, they just put those little spikes up that they do for pigeons. You put them on top. Put of pigeon spikes on the top. Mat. It's almost as if the cats uh, know (laughs) that if they tap it with their paw, it will start blaring music in the middle of the night. It's like maybe they have figured this out. Passive aggressive. Passive aggressive cats. cats. You know, cats really are. Um, So I have the minis turned upside down so they can't do that. Now, I don't, that's not going to ruin the sound of a mini, but I don't want to spend 600 bucks on fancy speakers and turn them upside down and have them not sound 
good. Would it, I guess it would figure out, oh, I'm upside down. And what, I don't know what to do about it, but I don't know. I think it's driving. It's drive. It's got the more the base drivers there though that are in the base, and they're yeah. going to be driving, trying to drive up yeah. into the air, and that's not going to be. I need a kitty solution. Uh, if anybody has one, I think that's a good. Mar- Maybe we could sell this on Amazon, Alex. It's little kitty spikes that just kind of kitty fit spikes. in that in that circle. But then you might exactly. actually hit it, so that's not good. Uh, no, you just you just have it's like a little mat before you go to bed. You just throw it on top, and then it'll just okay, like, oh, yeah, but that's yeah. Fun. We have, uh, we have we have we uh, have the Nerf the Nerf uh, for our cat. We have the Nerf um, uh, spray spray gun. You know, like yeah, uh, you got to spray it. Gun. But I'm not going to spray the speaker. What's funny though is that the cat now just knows what the Nerf gun, what the what the gun looks like. And so anytime you pull it out to discipline the cat for tearing apart the the furniture, um, it just runs away. But it, if if you don't have the gun, you can't say anything. It won't. It doesn't care anymore. If you order it today, it won't even come in time for Valentine's Day. They must be doing quite well. Pushing these. Oh, like, yeah. It was when it first came out, it was like uh, early, first week of February. So it's definitely. They're selling. Or they made 10. We don't know. <laughs> it's such a surprise. I mean, I, I can't think of another time that Apple has discontinued a product and brought it back in essentially the same form. That's just unheard of. It's a very well, but odd I think, thing. I think to they do. fixed. I think they backed up and they, I think they thought they had something that people wanted. It was a little too expensive and it wasn't working. So they just said, well, let's not sell any more of these. This is expensive. Yeah. Um, and I think, that I, think they, I, I think that's probably a good indication of how poorly it was selling that they were, they were easily able to completely run out of stock that it wasn't, it wasn't worth it to do another production run uh, based if they were thinking about doing it again, doing a revamp in, in a year or two. So it's like other, otherwise they would have said, you know what, we'll we'll keep this on the list and we'll say we'll we'll have one of those little videos that says car customers love the original HomePod and uh-huh. we've made it even better. Uh, all right. So anything else to speak, say about the new? Kiddies, though, uh, I did. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Andy. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just, I was just saying I, I bookmarked something that I came across last week because I thought it was curious that uh, someone on Reddit had a uh, posted about how they saw their cat uh, walked up walked up to the HomePod, meowed at it, and Siri said, "Sure, here is some music for you." And then the cat just perched on the window, all listening to garbage and Elliot Smith. And I'm try- I, I saw that thinking about a okay. I saw that funny, post and I funny, said, funny, "That's funny my cat," cat except for the Elliot Smith part. But I, but I, I was wondering, like, how does that go into testing? That saying, a, they have to make sure they reject anything that's not supposed, not intended to be a command, and b, is it possible that they're thinking, you know, what if the cat, if a cat wants to meow at a cone pod, <laughs> we think that's adorable, we should make that a feature. We should make it play some Elliot Smith. Uh, also, also is, there, is there somebody at Apple Music who's, who, whose job it is to produce like mu- playlists for cats? If if a cat asks for music, here is a playlist to give it. Apparently, Rosemary Orchard has figured out how to cat-proof her HomePod. She demonstrated it this morning on iOS Today. <laughs> so I'm I'm just going to have to watch that episode of iOS Today. Scooter X said you can disable the touch on the top. I never even thought of that. Maybe I, maybe that's all it takes is just disabling hmm. the touch. I'll get back to you. Uh, let's see. Apple has, uh, according to German postponed the fancy AR VR mixed reality glasses and plans instead to chip a cheaper mixed reality headset with a battery pack that uh, goes in your pocket. Um, 
Is this so? It's interesting because Microsoft fired basically its entire mixed reality uh, teams, all of its teams. Um, uh, Meta seems to be maybe pedaling backwards a little bit on this. Is Apple um, is Apple following suit and backpedaling a little bit on its investment? No. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, Microsoft basically saying they're not going to build HoloLens hardware when they can just use uh, Meta's hardware instead. Right. And Apple's hardware, presumably, <laughs> which I think is a, I That's think smart. is a, an interesting angle That's and smart, smart yeah. on. It's yeah. very Microsoft of, of the Nadella era. Yeah. Apple. No, I mean, what's happening here is two things. Right. One is they've always had I think the, the rumors have been all along that they've got a cheaper version coming. And that's what Mark Gurman's reporting on is that they are going to have this like there's going to be Apple Reality Pro and then there's going to be Apple Reality One and that's going to be the cheaper version that's going to be available in a year a year after the the first version makes you wonder if what they're going to say is very much like well this version is for explorers and developers and and then uh, you know but we're believers in this category and then and and soon we'll have something else don't ask us what but some something the the losing you know pushing back the the glasses thing. I don't know that product. I I can't read that as anything other than this technology just doesn't work yet, right? Because you're talking about something yeah. you can wear like glasses and overlay information on it and have it be in your field of vision and have it not be cumbersome that you would wear outside and interacting with people in the world. And I think that's the aspirational goal of everybody in the AR VR field. But I, I'm not surprised at all that Apple looked at it and said, can we realistically make this product? And said, no, no. we can't. I don't think the tech <laughs> exists for it. I think they still have to invent the tech to uh, make it work. Yeah. So, so let's let me be clear. I'll read what he says because uh, it's a, it's there's some some nuance uh, here. They are still planning to release a mixed reality headset, and they're planning to do it this year again. Rumor only. This is Kerman, but an even more important follow up product, lightweight augmented reality glasses, has been postponed due to technical challenges. So instead, Apple will follow up with a lower cost version of the. We we are thinking the rumor is thirty five hundred dollar mixed reality headset for this year. That'll be developer yeah. edition or stupid, you know, Apple fan edition. Stupid's the wrong word. Uh devoted. <laughs> sorry. What did I say? Stupid? <laughs> devoted Apple Enthusi- fan. Enthusiastic. Enthusiast edition. Cause I'm gonna buy one, so you know, obviously, <laughs> I just I want to. It's not instead, right? Like I think the a the the glasses that you wear out that are the AR glasses are out there. It, as a future thing that they want to go to, they want to do but, it, but they can't. But they can't. But this yeah. this low end VR product or lower end VR product is not instead of that, right? Like that. That's part of their VR product strategy is to follow up their super expensive model that may be coming this year with one that people might actually buy. And that would for, be as soon as he yeah. says twenty twenty four. Or twenty twenty five. They soften us up with the three thousand dollar one, right. so that when they come out with a fifteen hundred dollar one, we thank them for it. Right. Right. Oh, <laughs> well, and, thank and you. So, so, ba- oh, so, ba- so, yeah. so, 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 basically, it's it's, it's the Lisa edition. <laughs> yeah, forty years That's later. It. Yeah, what a relief. Yeah, and, and I think that I think that we'll see. Uh, I mean, they're targeting uh, the rumor is they're targeting a million units. Um, they'll sell at least that. You know, like they'll they'll I guess is they'll probably sell five to ten. Oh, they'll sell units. out. Yeah, because there's a lot of people like me and you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I wouldn't buy it if I were a private citizen, but I think it's you know in order for us to cover this stuff, right. we've got to kind of keep an eye on it. Um, yeah, I mean it's it, it's hard to it's hard to overstate how impossible this goal is. I mean, Jason's absolutely right. Like for for with today's technology, 
do you getting how do you how do you get enough power into the headset to make it work how do you get displays that are good enough that you're going to be able to tolerate it for more than a couple of hours how can you make it light enough that people are going to want it to put on their heads how are you going to have displays that work outside as opposed to inside an office environment and even when you solve all of those you're still dealing with what kind of apps what kind of uh, uh, what kind of uh, uh, functions are going to appeal to people that would want to have this helmet uh, or this these these goggles outside of these few niche areas in which a very few companies have had some kind of success so it's All exciting right. i want to take a little uh, break and when we come back we'll talk about uh the new releases new operating systems for everything and i mean besides some security fixes stuff the really important details uh of this particular release what it will do but first a word from our sponsor mac break weekly brought to you this week by melissa a leading, I'd say the leading provider of global data quality, identity verification, and address management solutions. Today, they just announced, this is exciting, a partnership with TomTom. You know TomTom, the, the satellite navigation uh, uh, product. They're going to layer TomTom's comprehensive global address data, location data, and country data on top of Melissa's already industry-leading data quality, enrichment, and identity verification solutions. This is just one more way. Melissa's always doing this. They are improving their products. They've been doing this for so long, since 1985, and every year something new comes along from Melissa that makes it even better. This TomTom partnership is huge. Multi-language, multi-format support, key to postal addressing, not every country is alike. TomTom ingests country data into one global, and this is important, standardized data set while supporting multiple languages. You know, there's no uh, street addresses in in, uh, in Venice. You just, you know, turn left at the canal and then right and then go down an alley and you'll find it. Well, TomTom actually can ingest that and give you a location. They handle those weird nuances country by country, making the Melissa solution stack efficient and seamless and making sure your customer data is actually useful and effective. Melissa has actually used this to increase its global support across 240 countries and territories. We talked to Greg Brown. He's the vice president of global marketing. Melissa says, by adding TomTom's rooftop precision capabilities to our solutions, Melissa's customers can rest assured not only is their data clean and verified, but they have pinpoint accurate location information, high value to business operations. This ensures restaurants are found, packages are delivered to the right place, on-demand drivers find their passengers, and so much more. You can see how important global address verification is, location information is. Poor data quality could cost organizations, on average, $15 million a year, and that's just the first year. The longer it stays in your system, the more your business losses will accumulate. By leveraging TomTom maps, plus points of interest, plus seven-digit postal codes, plus address points, and their routing API, it's kind of amazing. Melissa provides a best-of-breed address engine critical to business needs worldwide. And what's cool about it is you can get it any way you want it. On-prem, as a SaaS, it, and uh, delivery, uh, they have a secure FTP server you can upload and download to and from or probably the way most of you will use it as an api they have a very nice api which means you can include this valuable additional information into your app into your customer service app or your uh, shopping cart melissa's been doing this 
longer than anybody else. Since 1985, they specialize in global intelligence solutions to help organizations unlock accurate data for a more compelling customer view. And uh, it probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it because it's so important. Melissa treats your data as you would want it to be treated. They undergo continuous independent security audits. They are absolutely committed to data security, privacy, and compliance. There's SOC 2, HIPAA, and GDPR compliant. Your data is in the best possible hands. So many ways to use Melissa. I want you to check it out. Get started today if you want to play with the API with 1,000 records clean for free. Melissa.com slash twit. M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot com slash twit. We, I'm so happy we've partnered with them for several years now. It's so cool because they have become, even in the short time we've been working with them, I think it's three years, better and better and better and better. Melissa.com slash twit. We're so glad they support us here at twit. We're glad you support us at twit by using that address. Melissa.com slash twit. Thank you, Melissa. So, iOS 16.3, Ventura, what is it? I don't even know. 11, I don't know what it is. uh, 13 points. 13, you don't know either, do you? One, two, (laughs) I don't know. Which one are you talking about? It's all new, baby. It's all new. Uh, In fact, even if you have older versions of, it's macOS Ventura 13.2, but older versions are getting updated of iOS and macOS. Uh, iPad OS is also updated to 16.3. Uh, according to Apple's website, these are fixing security exploits, including patches in Apple mobile file integrity, image IO, kernel, mail, maps, Safari, and WebKit. Whoa. There's a, for instance, <laughs> there's 9to5Mac found a exploit in the weather app <laughs> that could allow other apps to bypass <laughs> privacy preferences. Another exploit in WebKit which is, of course, what Safari and all browsers use on iOS, two exploits that could lead to, and this is bad, arbitrary execution of malicious code. Uh, But the biggest thing I think end users will notice is support for security keys. This is very interesting. You can now use your YubiKey, for instance, to log into your iOS or Mac device. Or to provide two-factor. Instead of the six-digit code that Apple pushes, you could use uh, a key to do that. Apple has a uh, a uh, post about this, about how to use it. It's probably worth reading if you're interested in uh, in doing that. It's uh, HT213154. Hut! Uh, and they, t- <laughs> they talk about uh, which security keys they support um, and all of that. So I like this. I mean, I use a YubiKey for two-factor on my uh, password manager and a, and a few other things. Uh, I I think this is an interesting thing. Will any of you uh, use that instead of uh, the normal? I'm uh, looking at it. Yeah, I think for no, you especially, <laughs> Alex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You uh, they yeah, require not, that you have a, two. Yeah, two we're keys. not high-value targets, <laughs> right? But Alex, yeah, but Alex is definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah. He's in their crosshairs. Uh, you do have to have at least two FIDO certified security keys. Uh, YubiKey has a couple that work with any device, iOS or Mac OS. Um, you'll have to have two factors set up, of course, already. 
You'll need a browser that supports security sign-in. But here's something you should keep in mind. It won't work with older machines. So if you can't get your machine up to Mac OS 13.2 or iOS 16.3 or iPadOS 16.3, you won't be able to use your key. So I don't yeah. know what the fallback is. <laughs> that's 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 an issue. You can't sign into iCloud for Windows either. Child accounts and managed IDs are not supported. And Apple Watches won't work if you haven't paired them with your phone. You have to pair them with your phone, not a family member's iPhone. So if you're using it for your kids or as a senior in your family or something like that, you have to redo it. Um, it this do they the say what the fallback end is? End encryption, right? It's yeah. The, it's the end-to-end -end encryption. It's like this is a brand-new security regime, basically. So you need all devices who support it. And so, you you know, if you're going to support this, you've got to upgrade everything. You have to do that or it won't work. Yeah, because if you have a fallback, if, for instance, they have a fallback, so no, don't worry, uh, if you don't have your key, we'll text you. Uh, then that's the, the lowest. Security hole. That's the, that's the security. Right. That's the lowest. The Whatever the worst security is, that's the one you got to watch out for, even if you, well, no, but I need a key. No, you don't. You just need a text, which we can snarf. So I presume Apple doing it right is going to make it pretty hard there i mean how do they say do they have a button that says lost my yubikey i'm so scared <laughs> about doing this that i don't it's just like an yeah. advanced data protection isn't it it's like uh, i don't know i don't want to get locked out of stuff yeah and for and the, the fact of the matter is for it this is um, this is an important new feature for the credibility of the entire platform and you like, i know it's you know it's, they've been around for for close to 40 years but still there are go no go points for certifying certain pieces of hardware for certain applications so it's good to have this hardware key uh hardware key support for most people it's actually kind of important to have <laughs> to, to be able to say hi apple yeah you know what i did i did the stupid thing i forgot this thing could you please give me access back to my to all my information? So yeah, don't 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 do this because it's cool to have a, have a key on your key. on your fob that makes you feel makes you feel like a makes you feel like a super secret agent because <laughs> at some point you're going to say if 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 I weren't so so worried about North Korean hackers busting in and finding out what my high scores are on all my games. I would not have to basically be reconstructing all of my playlists and all my photos and everything right now. Yeah, I think it's actually using a, a similar philosophy in another way to the the end to end encryption stuff, which is it requires you to create two keys. So it's As basically they saying As they you should. can have yeah. you can have a YubiKey. Uh, you need to add another key. So the idea there is that you're not, they, they don't want, you've got to have two baskets for your eggs, basically. Is you could have two here, right? keys. You don't have to have two yeah. separate keys. Google did this too when they did the advanced protection. And the reason is if you if you lose your YubiKey, you're SOL. So your the, host, the yeah. thought is uh, that you read, in fact, I often register three or four YubiKeys. Put, yeah. you know, carry one of my keychain as I do here and then put the other ones in a safe in case you lose this one because otherwise yeah you're locked out yeah yeah so yeah. apple's good in saying also, you gotta also, have at least two yeah. at least two yeah also you you always have to keep in mind if you're especially if you're an organization what if only one person has access to this important part of your business or your nonprofit or whatever and that person gets hit by a bus you have to make sure that there's an outside way of getting into this data or else uh, or else you're absolutely host there's absolutely nothing apple can do uh, do for you right now although if you think about it uh a key is a maybe a better way to do it 
than uh, uh, something that might be locked up on my iPhone. If I have a key and I put it in a safe uh, or a safety deposit box right. or somewhere and I tell my wife, that's the key, other key, and something happens to me, that actually could be easier for her than trying to figure out how to get into my phone right. so that she can do the authorization, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's probably yeah. a good thing. But again, you need multiple keys. Uh, I presume Apple supports more than two. I haven't tried it. Uh, a lot yeah. of, you know, Bitwarden, uh, when you you can register as a number of keys, you can name them. You could say that's the one in the safe. That's the one on my keychain. Uh, that's probably the right way to do it. I would imagine Apple's doing it right. The press release came out uh, today. It says Apple builds on privacy commitment by unveiling new education and awareness efforts on data privacy day. Happy DPD. That's pretty darn exciting. So that's why the that's that's why all those fireworks last night keep yeah. the dogs <laughs> We're all yeah. celebrating Saturday. Yeah, it's Saturday is actually Data Privacy oh, Day, but so oh, why okay. not make it a whole week? Apple decided that it's a whole well, week. You get, the, you, you get the Monday off, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was today. All right, it's a whole week. Um, in any event, they're going to have uh, starting uh, Saturday. They're going to have a new today at Apple session, taking charge of your privacy on iPhone, which I think is great. And yeah. they will talk about mail privacy protection, safety check, location services, and pass keys. I think that is really good. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a personal service right at the Apple Store. So they will actually look at your phone and say, you could turn this on. Oh, you nice. could this is what will happen, and they can walk oh, people I through that Oh, I think that's stuff. great. I think that's great. Uh, so uh, there's also a uh, uh, website for this, which is apple.co slash, uh, what was it? I put it away before I... Uh, Skills dash privacy. You can register it at skills dash. Yeah. I have to go to Pleasanton. Wait a minute. Let me let me get let me get. Let <laughs> well, me, let I me mean, just wait. They'll load, they'll load in Corte Madera before too long. Don't worry <laughs> That's where it. I want to go. I want to meet you at the Corte Madera store. There it yeah, is. We can learn together. Let's learn together. Apply. Okay, skills. So they're doing it. Uh, Sunday. Oh, I'm working, man. Man, yeah, this, that's the day after that's okay. World Privacy Day. Come on. Come on, man. Oh, there's one the next Sunday. Well, oh, heck. Mm. Yeah, oh, it heck. Is, I read that there. It's it's a it's an addition to the regular courseware available right. at Apple stores. So it should be like a regular class. You can yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Encourage all your family and friends. Take advantage of it. They're free. You, obviously, you have to re res reserve a place, but that's really a great thing. I'm really glad. And if you can't that. get to the Apple store, you can learn about those features from the Somewhat funny, somewhat awkward comedy slash informational slash infomercial video that they made with Nick Muhammad from Ted Lasso yeah, that Ted they also Lasso. posted today. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it's basically like a, a film you sh show in class at school where they try to make it entertaining, <laughs> but the, the subject matter is so dry that you can feel everybody straining to make it entertaining. And they sort of have a meta level where they know that you know that they know that you know that it's not. But it's uh, what I like about it is that, you know, people don't understand this stuff and it does try to explain it. It is obviously puffing up Apple's cr credentials about security and privacy here. But it's um, better than nothing if you can't get to an Apple store for the one to one. Let's lesson. let's just watch a little bit. For those of you on YouTube, you're going to see a slideshow so that Apple doesn't know we're doing this. Uh, but for those <laughs> of, alarm clock, I'll narrate it. No, turn on the sound. Come on. This is just look at. Let me stop right here. Hold on. Let me explain this. If we put this on YouTube, we'll get taken down. Right. But don't edit it now. Do it live and edit it. You're going to, when you edit the show, do the slideshow and take the sound out because the podcast people are not affected by what YouTube does, right? 
podcast won't, will not be affected. It's just if so it's that's why I put the sound on now because ninety percent, ninety five percent of our audience doesn't watch it on YouTube. So we're just going to make those poor five percent of the audience have to watch a, a slideshow with no audio. But put the audio on now. I'll put. I'll, I'll do some. I'll do that. I'll, I'll... Just play it normally, please. Thank you. I know. I hate the chill, chilling effect of YouTube. We are now in Nick Muhammad's flat. Every day, people go about their daily. Okay, that's very uncomfortable. He's just woken up, and there's some guy in an apple. But shirt. that's the bit. That's the bit <laughs> in his house. Keep playing it. And used to track. Okay, but but but, but, now, but actually, let's let's be frantic here. He's he's sleeping on. He's he's got like a king size bed. He's sleeping on one is built bed. In from the so. beginning. And to help illustrate the point. So you think there was somebody else there, and they got rid of her before they started shooting. Well, I think that the premise Order. of this video is that Nick Muhammad is lonely, actually. That's kind of what the oh, idea is here. Exactly. Or, the, the, lonely. The, the, yeah. the, the, the vibe I got the is that there was a long-time relationship that just ended, yeah, unfortunately. Oh, he's not I get to, it. Yeah. He's still hoping that they'll come back. And it looks like he's living in the little house they built in the Apple building to show off uh -huh. their... Yeah, okay, just checking. We're going to take a look at a day in the life of an average person's data. Whoa, wow, sorry, what do you mean by average? He's drinking. Can I just check, how tight as a concept are we? Is that, it's wait a minute, that's, that's not Nick, right? that's, that's the, that's the uh, coach, right? The other coach, the assistant. This is Nick Muhammad, Nick he is the, he, he is the, the guy who's the, yeah, he's like the clubby. Uh, the Great, uh, yeah, and Nate oh, the Great. Oh, uh, oh, it's not. And he becomes the, okay, he's like okay. the villain of the. Nate uh, the Great, okay. He's, he's the villain of guy? season three. Great, great. Oh, in season, season three. three, yeah. I haven't Good. watched it. Shh. No spoilers from Ted Lasso. No spoilers. Uh, I see him boss on a very average day, going to a really average film set to do some very average filming. Why like is heading out? This feels like the There's ceiling is low. Is that because this is the fake house that they built in the soundstage? I don't think so. It feels like it's low. Okay. Want to learn more about? Use the chapters below to skip ahead. All right. Mm, let's that. Interactive. Yeah. Okay. Now we're uh, in a, on a street. In email London. marketers love following your email activity. Mail privacy oh, protection. Certainly not the first time I've been followed. Just wait a second. This guy. This one. Go for it. Right. <laughs> okay. I've seen enough. Uh, that's yeah. not worth getting taken down from YouTube for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, get, getting, well, getting a, lot, getting a lot of Ricky Gervais vibes off, out of that performance, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's basically the premise is that he's he's kind of like trying to he's very defensive and trying to make himself seem more of a star than he is, and then being taught these things about privacy. And like I said, it's it's kind of funny, but also very much like in that school informational uh, video where. Yeah. Uh, we'll throw in some jokes, but we're really trying to get you to eat your vegetables it's here. It's inevitable that it'd be a little bit like that because it is that I, way. It is vegetables. I like that they made the effort here, right? That yeah. they actually are trying to get this stuff across because it is so, like, we've all tried to explain this to our less technical friends and family members, and it's it's kind of hard, right? Yeah. Like, to be like, what are these features and why do you want them and why do you care about them and why do they matter? And, um, yes, it is also very much in an ad, basically. It is self-serving in the sense that is, this is Apple's whole privacy that's iphone ad campaign this is essentially what an extension of that right so it's five minutes uh i haven't watched it but it contains all all you would need to know to implement this stuff or is it just it shows a, the you know it shows the screens and where the switches are and what they mean and sort of basic concepts right. yeah it's and, cool that they got uh, i wish they'd gotten hannah uh instead to do it that'd be more interesting or who's nick Bahamut was available nick was available <laughs> he wasn't working at the moment he had some time um but that's fun. You know, if you're a Ted Lasso fan, that's kind of fun, right? He's a, he's a good character in that show. Well, yeah, and Muhammad's actually a very talented com com comedic actor yeah. who's oh, doing a bunch of stuff in oh, Britain. Okay. And yeah. All right, yeah. cool. So he has and, some... and, and 
And I think also that that it continues the narrative that Apple just just keeps beating down of how much you're being right. tracked around, you know, and, nice and that. Yeah. So in, yeah. in addition to teaching you some things, it's also just continuing the the stoking of the paranoia <laughs> that, that is that that that, that might be healthy uh, to, to understand how much you're being you're being tracked. And um, and so and I think that, of course, undermines a lot of other other things around Apple. So. Right. Right. Good. Well, I'm glad Apple's doing it anyway. And I. I'm really glad that they added the keys. I mean, this is, seems to be to be more than lip service. They're really uh, walking the walk, right? Again, they're they're slowly so. yeah. tightening a noose. Yeah, like I, I think that they're not. This isn't a. They're not doing everything all at one time. I right. think that they just keep on pulling these things in because if they did them all at one time. People would freak out, and and you know there'd be a bunch of people that are upset, and they're just slowly pulling all these privacy things. Um, you know, just tucking them in one step at a time. I'm a little surprised that they haven't gotten more government pushback. Maybe they are. Uh, behind the scenes oh i think they are yeah <laughs> you notice that, that no one ever complained that they couldn't get into somebody's blackberry <laughs> like even though that was what everybody used for that <laughs> right it's odd you know that, that that was not but they still are um but i think that they i think that the government has kind of lost the they have a way to get in right now for some, a lot of the phones that are out there and so they're they're complaining a little bit less but uh, you know they're gonna apple's gonna keep on tightening but i think that that's also where we saw a lot of the child uh, pornography issues that Apple did as they keep on tightening this up, they're also trying to close the, the, the loopholes or the gaps that, that the government uses to try to open it back up again. So Andy, you said you were glad to be on a show where you didn't have to talk about tech layoffs. (laughs) Uh, Apple seems to be the only company in Silicon Valley that is not laying people off. Wall street journal uh, had an article about why that is. Uh, and actually, if you compare Apple's hiring over the last couple of uh, years to all of these other companies, uh, you know, they went, the other companies went crazy hiring. Um, how is Apple so far avoided layoffs? Wall Street Journal says lean hiring and no free lunches. They do. They charge, I, I don't they? The, they charge for I think lunch. The free lunching. They do charge for the, the yeah. lunch. But yeah. uh, and uh, but I I think that uh, I think the free lunch thing was a little absurd. Like the amount of cost the per per employee is so low. Yeah. Right. That, that that was a, that was a kind of although a dumb that's thing one of say. the first things Elon got rid of at Twitter. So here's the. I think this is really what it's all about. From its fiscal year end in September 2019 to 2022, Apple's workforce grew 20 percent. 164,000 full-time employees, uh, 65,000 of them in retail, I might add. Over the same period, employee count at Amazon doubled. Microsoft up 53%. Google up 57%. Facebook, 94%. So, Hmm. of course, you know, it makes sense. When you double your employee count in a year, uh, it makes sense that you're maybe going to have to fire some people at some point. Yeah, at the at last week's open town hall meeting, Sundar Pichai, like the day after they fired twelve percent of their workforce, he basically his explanation was basically that he, they made some hiring decisions about a year and year and a half ago, based on uh, hopefully hoping uh, based on the idea that certain trends would continue and they'd be in a good position to to capitalize on it. And as he said at the meeting, that that that, that obviously the the economy changed and the that the the good times they were counting on did not actually happen. So I mean, I've, we've, we've spoken a lot before about how 
odd sometimes it is that uh, we hear that oh well Apple the reason why we're not we're not going to be expecting a whole big a whole lot of updates to uh, uh, iPad OS or Mac OS this year because they've pulled engineers off of those projects to put them onto other projects and why, why don't they just hire more staff so that they don't have to pull people off of projects and slow other things down well now we see philosophically why that is it's better it's it's I'm, it's it's nasty to be little bit a little bit stretched out as an engineer but i suppose that if you compare that to having a little bit more of job security that that they they've, they're not over over hiring for what they need and they maybe not going to have to cut 10 percent of their workforce back maybe that will help help make them feel a little bit better about having to suddenly develop for develop a operating system software for uh for virtual reality glasses instead of working on this feature for the os uh, mac os they've been thinking about for the past three years i think i think apple's also probably resistant to culture change or culture um you know, disintegration. <laughs> so I think they don't, I don't think they want to add that many people that fast because it's just really hard to keep what you do the way right. you do it. Um, you know, it's hard to maintain control of that when you start at, when you double the size or you increase by 50%. Um, I think that 20% was probably the outer edge of what Apple was willing to do because they want a certain number of people there for a certain amount of time so they can kind of, you know, assimilate them. It's also <laughs> into, the what, case, into how they do it. As the journal points out that Apple's business maybe is somewhat more resilient to uh, downturns uh, than these other advertising focused businesses. Companies. There's also a lot less SKUs. I mean, these, these the, yeah. the other organizations have so many products right. and when you think of the advertising, all the software development and all the other things, Apple's producing less, less different things than, than everybody else. Um, and generally they're, they're not cutting them out very often. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel for anybody who's lost their job. In fact, it was a little grim on Twitter over the last few days reading, uh, you know, the farewells from Google employees, many of whom had been there for more than a decade, yes. uh, 20 years in some cases. Uh, you're at a company for 20 years and you're summar summarily fired. That doesn't look like right-sizing. That really looks like, you know, your whole life has been turned upside down. That's It's not that the people who were just hired are the people who are now being fired. Uh, in many cases, it's people have been there for a lot longer. So my sympathy. Yeah, that's that's why there's a, there's a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Sad. you can tell. You can tell. Uh, I, I I've worked in and out. You know, contracted in and out of a lot of a lot of companies. And <laughs> one of the things that's interesting is you can tell the employees that have been through downturns um, because they will. The moment you have a meeting with them, they will link you. They'll go. They'll, you'll get hit with LinkedIn. Now, a lot of people do that. It's good, it's a good practice. Like they, they keep their resume you, up to you, date. You know, they keep me. their network fresh. Everything's they add people. everything's yeah. You're always they're adding for the people. Next job. They're sending you things. They're yeah. they're and they're not. But they're not looking. They're not necessarily. But they but they keep all those contacts warm. Yeah. And you can tell that somebody who's been, kind of been in this industry for a little while and gone up and down. Yeah. That they they try to keep spreading out. And they're always funny thing is they're always doing people favors. Like they're always like not, you know, like not nothing out of the, you know, that they shouldn't do, but, but like, like connecting you with this person and connecting you with that. Cause they're, what they're doing is they're building mm -hmm. that network, mm -hmm. you know, with people all around them. Um, and they're constantly, you know, uh, keeping all of that warm. And I was, always, it took me a little while to understand, uh, you know, I actually was talking to someone at a phone company about that. <laughs> they were like, well, you never know how long you're going to be here. <laughs> you know, it's just like you're, strippers, you're uh, frankly. Um, I never connected that. That's an interesting, interesting. It's parallel. in my mind, and I, I bet you, Andy, you saw it on Reddit too. There's somebody. It was a, a stripper who posted an Excel spreadsheet and then graphs of her income over several years, period, and then answered some questions. She apparently been keeping it in a spreadsheet, and she said, "Really, the minute you get to the club, you've got to cultivate these 
various customers. The way you get a bigger payday is making friends with them before you uh, get on stage. So it's just like that. You got to build your <laughs> I, you build your network. Yeah. yeah. So, but but I think that that's I, I think a lot of people get into this mode of I'm just working where I'm working. I just want to do my thing, and I don't want to talk to you know I don't want to really interact. And that's that's where you that becomes a pretty unstable place to be in a lot of these things um, is is to do that. And yeah. so it, you do want to be heads down, but you also have to pay attention to the realities of the of the market. But I do think that Apple has only I think the last time Apple laid anybody off was in the late. 90s like that was like the steve jobs came in and righted the fire and let off a couple like four thousand people and i don't think they've laid they've had any layoff after that and like they you know but that i think and i also think that there is a within the management i think that there's definitely a culture of still being like the scars of the late 90s are deep so deep you know and they apple worries about every like every penny of what they do and they think about i mean uh, I know people that have worked there and they think about 1997 every day. Um, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, my, my, uh, my dad who passed away about 10 years ago, um, he grew up in the depression and when I was a kid, like we didn't throw anything away. We had like broken, <laughs> like electric razors in the, in the barn that was like, maybe we'll fix it someday. He could make almost anything or fix almost anything with like the wire from a coat hanger. Like that mentality stays the with you. The depression mentality. If, if yeah. you go through those formative years and yeah. Apple, I, I'm telling you, Steve Jobs returning to Apple in 97 at, when they were near death. Uh, one of the, we talk about the culture he built, right? Cause he really rebuilt the Apple culture when he came back there. And that was one of the biggest products he did was Apple culture. So it could outlive him. And one aspect of it that doesn't get talked about enough is this uh, depression, you know, bankruptcy mentality yep. where they are very slow to hire. They are very reluctant to, to spend money. And you get those moments where you're like, you guys have all the money, spend the money. And they're like, mm. Maybe not. You never know. Rainy day, whatever. And it oh, can yeah. be good and it can be bad. But in a case where they're so slow and deliberate with their hiring, I think to a fault, yeah. it is an advantage in a situation like this where everybody's looking for you know demonstrations of responsibility from big corporations. And Apple gets to use a different demonstration that is basically that we didn't we hired slow and we didn't overhire instead of having to throw you know some jobs on the fire in order to prove that they're paying attention which i think a lot of these other companies are doing and then google gets did you see that did you see that letter that was sent out by one of the one of their state stockholders a very minor investor that was taking credit for uh, you got to make, oh man, you got to lay people off. You got to do it. You got to do it. Enough. It was like, that was a good start. The 12,000 is a good start. I was like, did you actually put that in print? Like, did you like, did, 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 <laughs> yep. did you think that that was okay to say? Like that was. Hedge that fund was, billionaire Christopher Hone said the decision to cut 12,000 jobs is a step in the right direction, but it does not reverse the headcount growth of 2022. I don't think that's the uh, intention is to reverse the headcount of growth of 2022 uh, uh hone said the management a lot needs of to investors go out there yeah. a lot of investors out there who think that they run the companies they've bought shares yeah. in and i, mean, I own shares yeah. Yeah, they, i am a, i am an owner uh, yeah. uh, 
a lot, a lot of a lot of them are getting fixated on a very very simplistic metric, which is how much how much revenue does this company generate per employee. And they figure that, well, look, if you're not generating more, if not generating as much as X per employee, you have too many employees easily just fire half your staff and suddenly your revenue per employee will double. And now won't everything be wonderful? And so, yeah, that's it's not something that you take really super seriously when yeah. you hear that that's when you hear someone saying you have you simply have too many people. You have to follow that up with because why? Right. Like what? Uh, what are the what are the too many people not doing? Are they are you paying people to do thing double work? Are you being super super inefficient? Or are you just simply saying that you do, if if you're not have if you're not having employees quit after two and a half years from extreme burnout, then you're not driving them hard enough? I don't think so. I think that Hone is probably uh, one of the people in a in a group of. Uh, uh, financial people who think that Elon Musk did the right thing with Twitter and this is how every company should be uh, operated and uh, you know cut to the bone of course I think it's funny get those that, nerds out of there get those nerds what do you need just them for sandwiches yeah. and yeah spending free money. food yeah hey um, Andy and I both have this concern we when when Apple bought Prime Phonic which was a very nice classical music service uh, they promised that they would bring it to iOS. They killed the, the service. They did give us refunds for our subscriptions, but still hasn't come back. There was uh, some code in 16.3 mentioning a standalone classical music app, but I was disappointed when 16.3 came out that a new Apple classical music app did not appear on my phone. So, Andy, any thoughts? Uh, I think that we're basically we're just looking at uh, Apple's realization that will we get will we get more subscribers by oh, being able yeah. to say hey here's how wonderful our classical music you know yeah. I think that they 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 know that if they if they if they promote uh, higher quality music files if they promote spatial audio not only will they say that hey we've got something that Spotify does not have they will also be able to say and hey what a great reason for you to spend two hundred fifty dollars for our new headphones as opposed to eighty dollar ones that you've been using right now. So yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we'll see it, but we don't, they don't have the resources to simply say they don't they don't have the resources to simply burst into a room and saying this is ridiculous. We need to get this launched now, now, now. It'll happen when it happens. Well, they did it's promise it would happen uh, in 2022. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, <laughs> we who love classical music are a small minority that don't move the needle. You still get classical music on Apple Music. I know that, but uh, Promphonic was focused on classical and had some really nice features. Uh, I kind of wish they just hadn't yeah. bought it. If they weren't going to do something with it, I wish they hadn't. I bought mean, it. it feels like they're, yeah, they're, it's mean, definitely it's a, coming. It's just not re- like it got delayed. I can't imagine that they would buy it, and that there's so much evidence that it's about right, right. ready to happen, right. and that they would pull the plug on it. It doesn't make sense. They want to get it right, and, and a lot, and a lot of it. Well, they, they want to get it right. I think that a lot of it could be licensing as well, because that that was a uh, really Prime Phonic had a really deep catalog. The, yeah. the difference there, 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 which is not to minimize the fact that really classical music is an area where if you want, where if you if you were to justify having a separate app with a separate user interface just for this category of music, you could maybe do it. And Prime Phonic definitely did, because it's one thing to say, hey, I want to hear, uh, I, I want to hear uh, Beethoven's Third Symphony. 
great, here are two copies of it. Hey, aren't we great? We have two. But then you have people who are into classical music who are like, actually, I want to hear the Leonard Bernstein recording. Or I was just reading an article about how uh, this one conductor I'd never heard of had this own his his own attitude towards it. I want to find a I know there's only a 1953 recording that was described that was transcribed off of of a radio disc, but I want to hear it anyway. Whereas that's not the sort of depth that uh, Spotify or Apple Music or any other traditional music service. It, it, that's not the sort of depth that's going to pay off. Whereas, uh, whereas these other, a specific classical service is going to say, no, we are going to make sure we can get the rights to that 1953 transcription disc. We are going to get the rights to these uh, sopranos and tenors from the twenties and thirties whose recordings are garbage, but they're the only surviving recordings of this particular performance. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. Yeah. I have uh Maria Callas doing uh, I can't remember which opera Traviata, I think. Uh, and it's not a great recording, but it's Maria Callas and, so you want to hear that, yeah. right? Uh, HomePod got an update as well, by the way, with 16.3. Uh, and they've turned on. We mentioned they have temperature and humidity sensors in the Mini and the new uh, second-generation HomePod. They turn it on. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Yeah. It's going to be for some workflows. Yeah, for some triggers. Automation, home automation triggers to have those in your various rooms and be able to key off of them. Yeah. Uh, Siri's confirmation tone will now play to indicate when smart home requests are completed for accessories that may not show a visible change or are in a different room. Remastered ambient sounds are more immersive. Okay. And can be added to scenes, <laughs> automations, and alarms in the home app. Find my on HomePod now allows you to ask Siri for the location of family and friends. If they've shared it with you, I like that. I'll be saying, Hey, uh, you know, Shlomo, where's my wife? Whereas, that's cool. That's kind of cool. Uh, we have, you know, yep. in, in our family, we all agree to keep our location turned on so that we can, you know, make sure everybody's home or not or safe. Um, you can have recurring home automation set up with just your voice. That makes, do you think Siri's going to get smarter? The reason I, I ask, you know, we were seeing this. <laughs> Cambrian explosion of AI with mid-journey and, and, and stable diffusion in, in images, chat GPT and text. Uh, Microsoft has now announced they are, yes, indeed, putting billions of dollars into uh, uh, open AI so that they can have some uh, artificial intelligence in office and other things. Uh, I, f I feel like this is kind of exploding. But Apple is not, there was a good, I'll, I'll point to uh, Ben Thompson who wrote a very nice piece in Stratechery, which I th you may have to subscribe to, uh, I do, uh, to read. And he talks about AI in the big five, how AI, he says, and I think I kind of agree with him, that AI is a new tech epic. The PC, the internet, cloud computing, mobile, all changed everything. And he think that's, thinks that's going about to happen now with AI. So... And I thought this was really interesting. Ben is a smart fella. He quotes Joel Spolsky, uh, a famous line in his strategy letter five, smart companies try to commoditize their products' complements, by which he means if you have a watch or a phone, you want to make it uh, all of the things that go on the phone, the apps, for instance, as close to commodity pricing as possible. And Apple has done a very good job with that in some cases making it open source is a way uh, to do that 
Apple invests in open source technologies. Ben writes most notably the Darwin kernel and the WebKit browser engine, which fits Spolsky's prescription as ensuring that the web works well with Apple devices. So that makes your Apple devices more valuable. Now, let's talk about AI. Apple's efforts in AI, meanwhile, have been largely proprietary. Traditional machine learning models are used for things like recommendations and photo identification and voice recognition, but nothing that moves the needle for Apple in a business in a major way. But they did receive a gift from Stable Diffusion, and we talked about this when they did it. Apple actually modified Stable Diffusion to work better with Apple Silicon. They, uh, they, they optimized Core ML for Stable Diffusion. He points out because Apple controls the hardware, the chips, they could actually, besides doing optimized software for Stable Diffusion, they could tune Apple's chips, the neural engine, to be better at things like Stable Diffusion. He says, it seems likely that Apple chips, if not this year, then probably next year, will be tuned for Stable Diffusion as well as other uh, Apple's own needs, Stable Diffusion itself, meanwhile, could be built into Apple's operating systems. So it's it's interesting because Apple, which has kept its AI stuff internal and private and not, frankly, done a very good job with Siri, uh, does have an opportunity because they make the silicon to make some of this open source stuff better. You think? What do you think hmm. Apple's look, AI look, strategy look, is? Andy? Well, the rumor the, is they're spending the, a lot of money on the, Siri, whether it's successful or not. And the rumor is that there's, yeah. they're dumping a lot of money well, and a lot of development. We know, uh, we know Amazon loses $10 billion a year on Echo, on, on you know, A-L-E-X-A. It's, it's easy to lose a lot of money. <laughs> Sam Altman says that uh, they're spending a ton of money, hundreds of millions of dollars a month on uh, chat GPT. Andy, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I, I, just, I, just, I just think the big problem is that it's no company uh, has – positioned a, uh, a has positioned a, a smart speaker a smart audio a smart assistant as anything other than here's how to trigger a function here's how to call for a playlist here's how to set a timer uh, there's been so much unexploited potential to really turn this into uh, an augmented reality operating system where this is an this is an audio interface to an entire operating system this is an audio interface to apps that we can let people to develop to interact with this audio assistant uh, there's it's uh, as as sophisticated as the Google Assistant is compared with Siri and others, it's still the sort of thing where ask it to do a canned feature, it will do that canned feature in a very, very humanistic way, as opposed to let me have a conversation with the software to solve a problem or create something that I need created or do something that I need done. Uh, and that's because that's the way that we interact with computers. We have a keyboard, we have a mouse, we have a conversation between key presses and mouse clicks about here's something I want to do. You're going to help me do it because you have more resources and you're connected to the internet and I'm not. Uh, if Apple were to basically put the words OS at the end of Siri and basically develop it with that kind of an attitude, I think they could make a lot of really big leaps forward in a very short amount of time. And ChatGPT is not the biggest factor here. It really is just that attitude about how are we going to present this well, thing. And I think that also some of it is brand risk, uh, you know, for all of the organizations that are involved, all the big or the big organizations is being wrong is worse than not yeah. saying anything. So, you know, there's there's the saying that's usually attributed to Lincoln that it's better to keep one's mouth shut and look foolish than to open it and remove all doubt. And the issue is when you open up, like I have ChatGPT opened almost all day. Like it just sits over there and I flail at it, like do this, do this, do this. Let me see what you're going to do here. 
and it's wrong about 20, 30%. <laughs> like it is like right. patently wrong, like not like a little wrong, but it sounds totally normal. Like it is a, and so it's, if, it's what if we call it you, confidently wrong. It's confidently Perfect. wrong. Um, and, and the issue is, is that, is that if Apple started having some, you know, so ChatGPT can do that because OpenAI is like, hey, we're experimenting, we're having fun, and this is not important. Yeah, but if you start putting that, that into position. a speaker, yeah. if it's off 1% of the time, Apple is going to get roasted, you know. And so yeah. so the, the need, I think that the, the issue that Apple has is, and, all, and, and Google and all these, and everyone else, is we want to make sure that we're care- carefully certain um, that we're giving you the right solution before we before we do it because we we want to be right and and they're giving up the ability to do all the things it could do to be right 99.9999999% of the time and so almost every response that you get is something someone looked at and said yeah we can we, you know that's a good response for that thing and and then if i don't know that i'm going to tell you i found it on the web i found it on the in web in a way this is an, in, this is the innovator's dilemma though that's and that by the way yeah. is how he begins exactly. this article is yeah you're doing fine now but but remember, Apple is success, massively successful in the last decade because of the iPhone. They were right on top of that complete transformation in computing. The well, new they epic, they created it. Exactly right. They created it, uh, and they are desperately with the car and with the AR VR and uh, you know with health, looking for the next thing. What if the next thing's AI? And and Ben seems to think it is, and I think he might be right. Uh, is Apple going to be competitive there or is the innovator's dilemma, the, the unwillingness to risk their core business to get into the new one? Is it going to is it going to harm them in, in the long run? They've, they've they've got a bunch of really smart people working on AI and ML stuff at Apple. And I mean, you look at the fact that they've been talking about the neural engine all this time. Yeah, right? they're like building they, it in the hardware they have been for sure. For yeah. years building in yeah. machine learning processor cores directly into their hardware right so on that level they're there but i think the interesting question is like where do they take that and you we started this conversation by talking about siri and i think that's a great example where alex is completely right imagine the stories that are written if siri gives a wrong answer to something Uh, i mean that already happens right but if it's an ai driven confident siri that's giving completely wrong answers that's bad so they have to be careful at the same time, obviously what they've been doing with Siri for the last, you know, 10 years hasn't really, you know, worked. And I, I, my impression is that in the background, this is absolutely what they're doing with Siri is they're trying to do a better AI driven model for Siri that will be more responsive and understand you and maybe even understand the conversation. But the innovator's dilemma is absolutely true, which is they can't launch that until it's actually good. Whereas open AI or something can just put out a thing and say, here's a bot we wrote. Uh, it makes stuff up, but who cares? And Apple well, can't do that. And, and Apple doesn't want people to like kids writing, writing their term papers with, uh, with Siri, you know, that like that kind of thing. And so, so I think that that, you know, keeping themselves away from that, especially before this lawsuit that just, I think that was just filed. Um, I think the big companies want to watch what happens, you know, with the San Francisco lawsuit against chat, against open AI and mid journey and Dolly or not mid journey and stable diffusion. And they want to watch that. If that, if that, if they lose, if the artists that put, lose that, the gates will be open. There'll be a trillion dollars dropped into this because the uncertainty has kept everybody on the sideline. When there's no uncertainty anymore, they everyone's going to move really fast. And and the thing is, but I think what Apple's doing potentially is doing exactly what was was talked about here, which is um, they they don't necessarily want to sell AI, so they're going to make it 
essentially worthless. You know, they're going to commoditize it. You know, they're going to basically say, we're going to give you all the hardware to do it. We're going to, you know, they don't, they may not need to own it to, to basically make it available. They give you what you need, the platform to do it. Um, they need it for their AR. They need it for the VR. They need it for a lot of other things. But do they? They may try to control parts of it, but they may really want it to be something that isn't something that is of intrinsic value on its own. Yeah, that that's that really is the key here. Apple still is a hardware company. They make money by making a physical product and selling that physical product to people at a specific markup. Uh, so. One that that's two different ways of thinking about it. Either Apple is in, as Alex says, a good position because they could not necessarily be de- be developing the greatest AI products, but simply make sure that every time there is a new AI platform, every time there is a new uh, AI model, that their hardware runs it better than anybody else. So that when Photoshop when Photoshop exactly. considers, hey, wouldn't it be great if we can add a we can add a descriptive feature that simply says, hey, uh, take the four figures to the left, uh, make them a little brighter, but take the three trees on the right in the background. I want it to look like it's winter and not fall when that only happens on Macs and not on windows machines. That's a big win. On the other hand, if if AI truly becomes commoditized, if the thing that people really love about it is not necessarily a feature that's buried inside of an existing app, but simply something as good as the trustworthiness and the scope of Google search, but, uh, and the reliability of Google search, but also uh, hooked up to a real knowledge navigator style i can have a conversation with this uh, with this ai learn get the information that i want and then take actions based on this data that i've learned in a very very conversational way once the iphone simply becomes a microphone and a speaker or worse yet an internet connection to a bluetooth earbud that i can buy for 80 80 dollars at any store that could be a problem if that becomes the next revolution so well, so Ben says Microsoft might end up being the big winner here because of, no, partly of the investment into OpenAI. They put a billion dollars in initially and uh, allegedly are putting in another $10 billion incorporating it into their office. But also he says Bing could be the big winner because uh, putting AI into a search engine might make suddenly Bing competitive against Google. I use, I've mentioned this before, a search engine uh, called Neva. Uh, Neva. That's a paid search engine from former uh, former Google folks. Let me let me show you what it does with AI, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm going to type in your name, Andy. A N D Y. I have <laughs> no idea. Take Andy Anako. I think I got that right. Yeah, and it's it generates a uh, AI paragraph about you, uh, which is and then it has footnotes saying what sources it came from, and it's only two cases in this case. Let's. Uh, what was the name of Nate? The guy. Uh, what's his? What's the actor's name? Uh, in, uh, in Ted. Oh, Lasser. Nick. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> we've, we've forgotten. Nick. Well, I mean, that's part of the bit. He's going to be very angry at us. <laughs> what's his last Nick name? Muhammad. And Muhammad. Muhammad. Like you know. There like he the is. Guy. All right. Let's see what it generates. So it generates these, and it's not in real time. You can actually see it doing it, and then it has uh, his best known for his character, Mister Swallow. He's also known for Nate the Great. Uh, Graduated first from the University of Durham. First trip to the U.S. will be to attend next month's Emmy Awards. So I like this. This is their knowledge navigator equivalent to a Google. And it's using AI. Bing might do something similar uh, to this. Right. But I think these are very basic uses of what yeah. I and love what you described, Andy. And it's wrong. But it's wrong. I mean, next month's Emmy Awards, 
are over. Are right. over. <laughs> okay. So it's using old it's news sources and not changing the dates and all of those things, right? Okay, that's so good. A lot, a, a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the stuff in my bio is like five, six, seven, eight years out of date. Right. So, yeah. Right. All right. So that's uh, there's there's part of the pitfalls uh, to this, um, but I think that what yeah, you see, just this, described this is, is an image editor using using intelligence like that might be really powerful. So there will there'll be ways to do this. I think. Yeah. That work and are not risking this factual uh, flaw. He also says yeah, that TSMC I'll be, I'll be enough, and so- NVIDIA might be the big winners because they're doing, you know, the, with the CUDA cores, they're doing graphics stuff that's very powerful in AI and machine learning. It, and they're, it, and it they're could be. Ahead. It's just that it, the the, th- the advantage that Apple has is putting it on the edge. So having people have yep. really powerful processors that do it at their house yep. um, rather than, and, and the, the the issue, I mean, I think the NVIDIA stuff's going to do really well, um, but it's going to be more of it's a server-based, yeah. you know, or like cars. you're sending it away somewhere yeah. or yeah. you're doing things. It's not, it's me less of like, I'm putting this in my house to do this. I mean, some right. people will, right? right. but it, it's going to be a lot more expensive. One of those cards, I think, costs more than, you know, considerably more than a Mac mini. <laughs> so, Wow. Dwindle asked uh, ChatGPT to say, to tell tell him a joke about me, and thank you, ChatGPT. It said, <laughs> "I'm sorry, I am not aware of any jokes about Leo Laporte." <laughs> he is a well-known technology journalist, author, and broadcaster. It would be inappropriate to create a joke about him. <laughs> right he on, Daddy. This industry yeah, like a colossus. <laughs> he could he Ow. could break me like a just like a like a piece of uncooked <laughs> pasta. Wow, who's in the pocket of Big Twig Leo? Now. He's in the pocket yeah. of Big Leo. Absolutely. Oh boy. So I do think I think this is an important conversation because I do think that Ben is right. The next epic in uh, in computing is going to be all about AI and machine learning, and I'd be very interested to see how Apple can find its way in that. And, uh, and as of right now, and, and I think that the question is, is do you need to create it or do you need to use it? And, and I think that that's the, that's the issue is that it, you, there's ways to not create it, but to use it in the things that you're doing that Apple can definitely take advantage of. I mean, I, when I think about what's going to happen with computer graphics and, yeah. and all these other things, as we, as we play with these things, yeah. it's, it, it's going to be very, very creative. And, and I think that Apple may be angling towards, <laughs> harnessing what's out there rather than trying to you know create it themselves i like in the pocket of big twit i think that's good i'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) create a pocket (laughs) yeah i i i I would say i'm very optimistic about apple and ai as well i think it's very clear that the company has spent years thinking about this i mean really its investment in building the neural engine is just a great example of how apple has has because really if if there's anything to show that apple has you on its radar it's when it puts you on its its Apple Silicon plans, right? Like on the roadmap. And it did that years ago for yeah, this stuff, yeah, right? And yeah. so it feels like they want to be there. They want their hardware to be good at this. They want to be able to leverage that hardware to build their own. I mean, there's a lot of machine learning driven stuff inside that Apple doesn't talk about as much about like inside the photos app in terms of not just scanning your library, but also doing automatic updates, you know, improvements to the photos. They're doing, you know, they've invested a lot of stuff in it. Again, I will say, I wonder about Siri, but uh, leaving that aside, I think that they're not missing the boat on this. This is not one of those areas where we're like, geez, Apple hasn't said anything. Do they even know what's happening? They, They absolutely do when it comes to machine learning. Last year's Oscars, Apple uh, made history, winning three awards, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. For Coda, 
This year in the Oscars, Apple's nominations are a little bit more scant. This morning's Oscar nominations were announced. They got two nominations. Best Supporting Actor for Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway. Which I didn't even was. Is, I didn't know it was a movie, but it, it's there. Okay. It's on there. It's Jennifer Lawrence. And and and, yeah. uh, and uh, they got a nomination for animated short, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse, which is, if nothing else, a dark horse uh, possibility for animated short. But anyway, it's not going to have that big year that it had last year. It's kind of interesting. Not for lack okay. of trying. Well, I think it's, it's if that Will, Will Smith. Will Smith had, yeah. <laughs> if he hadn't done that thing, he might have yep. had a shot with emancipation. But boy, it's interesting yep. how that got buried. I mean, buried after uh, last year's Oscar yeah. slap. Because um, normally true. that's the kind of prestige film about a that was topic. Oscar bait. That's Oscar sure. bait. Yep. Uh, it, just, it just goes to show you how much. How much this is manipulated by marketing that they once they pull the marketing budget for something, there's just no chance of it finding well, an audience or, or getting awards. Yeah. And if you're in Hollywood during during the Oscar, the voting time for your consideration for your every billboard. Oh, my goodness. Actually, that's one of the big stories the down. And we'll talk about it tomorrow a little bit more on the twig. But there was a uh, best actress nomination for Andrea Riseborough in a movie to Leslie, which hardly anybody saw. There was it only made twenty seven thousand dollars, but there was a grassroots campaign among Hollywood to on Twitter to get attention for this movie and this actor, and it succeeded. She did get a nomination. Kate Blanchett, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, Meryl Streep, Daniel Day Lewis, Martin Scorsese all tweeted and they used the exact same phrase, the greatest screen performance in the history of the cinematic medium, which sounds like it was somehow a concerted <laughs> behind-the-scenes campaign. A little, little little, bit. There were also viewing parties, which is the thing that I like, which is like, Jennifer Aniston says you can come over to your house if you watch this movie that nobody saw yeah. and then vote for the star of it. But it worked. It, it worked. Nominated. It's and, a, and it's and a we, big deal. Yeah. And, and we have to remember that Kate Blanchett um, was promoting something that's someone who's competing with her. Like she's she's up for an Oscar for that. Wow, so that's she's, interesting. For so Tar, she's actually, yeah. For yeah, Tar, I, I I thought she should get a, an Oscar for for the trailer for Tar, but I was like, I'm not watching that. <laughs> like that that's too stuff. Like too dark for me. <laughs> oh, I want to see it. Was, uh, it's, but, it's too dark. You think? Uh, it's too not dark. Your kind oh, of it's too movie. dark for me. I was like, that's not my movie. I need. I need. Yeah. Uh, Riseboro did get a, a Best Actress nomination uh, for this tiny film, uh, thanks yeah. to Twitter. I mean, uh, Twitter still has clout, clout and power. It's kind of amazing. Uh, snubs for other, uh, what we thought were shoo-ins, uh, including uh, uh, Viola Davis, uh, who everybody thought would for sure get a nomination. Anyway, interesting. Interesting. That's the Oscar news. Apple has done something, I think, wonderful. On the 40th anniversary of the computer no one could afford, the Lisa which came out one year before the Mac, was $10,000. I remember pressing my nose against the glass of the computer store <laughs> saying, I want, I want. I had no idea Mac was in the in the works, but I couldn't afford it, Lisa. They have worked with the Computer History Museum to release the source code. Uh, if you go to computerhistory.org, the, the entire source code for Lisa's operating system and applications software is online which is pretty, pretty 
cool. You can't redistribute it. Apple's very clear about the license and so forth. But you can read it. Right. It and includes so, a lot of Pascal. And it's all and Pascal. Some yeah, there's some assembler. It's pretty neat. Did you look at it, Andy? I did look at it, and it's it's nice to it's nice to see. It's not just the uh, uh, the code that's there, but it's also like every module has like a, a comment that like uh, the the unit Twiggy by Dave often, and it's like everybody gets their their own little credit, their own little bow. And it's this is part of the history that I think that has to be maintained, especially especially when you have a something as old as the Lisa, where there's no there's there are no commercial secrets inside here. Uh, it's good that this be uh, in a depository that it be open source, so that people who are trying to figure out what programming was like, what it was like to create such a transformative operating system as a consumer, even though a consumer consumer business piece of hardware, what was that like? What sacrifices did they have to make uh, to deal with the hardware? It, a lot of times you get explanations of, my God, what is, why, why did that company make such a stupid decision? It should have been obvious that they should have done this. And then you look at the source code and you realize that, oh, they were working under this limitation where they couldn't possibly have done it that way. Maybe it's not so much that they were idiots or that they were under budget, but so much as they were, uh, they were limited by the, the by the hardware they're running on or the what their uh, what their compiler could do. So yeah, I think that, I think that's exceptionally good. It's too it's it's open source, but of course you can't do derivative product uh, projects. It would be nice. It would be lovely if someone could do a really good like native Lisa emulator or uh, open source native uh, Lisa emulator because uh, I've honestly, I mean, there's no bigger Apple geek than me uh, than, than I am but I it was only last year that I used a working Lisa for the very first time oh wow and that's cool you can read about you can read about this stuff. You can uh, even see like videos and stuff like that. But it's only until you have that mouse in your hand, that keyboard, when you try to do stuff and you realize that wow, this really, as revolutionary as it was, it really had severe limitations. This would have been such a huge pain in the butt to work with compared with a uh, a, a text interface which was blazingly fast and efficient uh, compared to all this sort of stuff. So it's really important that if we're going to keep this history alive, we're going to be able. If other generations are going to be able be able to learn from what a previous society was able to build, uh, then they're going to have to be able to actually use the thing that people were using. So it's 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 uh, it's similar for games too, where uh, just as we we don't have it's no problem to see Casablanca now. And so we could continue to reevaluate it in modern context. But the game that everybody was playing like in 1983, 1984, or even like eight years ago, once Mar- once they turn off the game servers for the Marvel Avengers game, no one will be able to play it anymore. And we won't be able to tell the story about what this story was like and uh, how it affected people who were using it. So I'm th- I think this is super great. It's pretty yeah, cool. I'm hoping that, you know, the 40th anniversary of the Mac is coming next year. I'm hoping that Apple will uh, maybe continue doing this sort of thing where it's contributing to history and giving people access to this now that it's sort of not a commercial uh, concern anymore. Uh, I do have two tidbits from the source code because no, no, no big secrets in there. My friend James Thompson, developer of PCALC, points out that, he, and this shows you what is on James's mind, uh, he immediately searched and found 11 occurrences of the F word in the source code. <laughs> yeah. And it's not uh, source another, code if there is no if there's no F words in the right. uh, in the comments. You got it. And, and an amazing thing that was found. Uh, I'm going to read this uh, verbatim. Welcome to the all create preferences window. Through the extensive use of hallucinogens, I have found truth and beauty. <laughs> 
However, these same hallucinogens have made me incapable of getting to Dodge Ridge to sell reclaimed ski wax in the parking lot. What? Uh, Dodge Ridge, Dodge Ridge, <laughs> a ski area near where I grew up, actually. Uh, and go. I mean, it was the 80s. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know either. <laughs> uh, wow. Yep. Uh, you guys have combed through this a little more than, uh, than but yeah, I have. It's look a, for the look for the F words in the source code. That's yeah. that's a pro tip. That's the pro <laughs> yeah. tip. Yeah, it's really cool yep. to look at it. Would be great. Love it. We'd I wish Apple license archive.org to do a, a, a web based Lisa. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would love there to be a, and there may, there may yet be, right? I mean, the license here allows you yeah. to do stuff like that. You just can't turn it into a commercial product. But if this would help, my guess is that the real way you emulate a Lisa is that somebody's got a, you know, a, a binary somewhere there where they dump the ROMs and they dumped a disk image and all of that. But having the source code is delightful and it leads to the possibility that somebody could, uh, you know, fix bugs in the Lisa source code and release a new version <laughs> of the OS. It happened for Apple II Pro DOS, so it could happen for Lisa OS yeah. too. Yeah. Who knows? Finally, get the Twiggy drive working. <laughs> yeah. Here's the Twiggy code that you're talking about by Dave Offen. That's it's kind of fun to look at this stuff. Uh, I I do wish there were more uh, comments. There's it's, there's some, but it'd be nice to have uh, a yeah. little more explanation. But it's great. Explanation. I have heard stories about how, oh, they'll never release the source code to whatever because it's got something copyrighted or there's a licensing hangup or something like that. And this gives me a lot of hope that that's not true. And I think it's the, the Computer Museum, uh, Computer History Museum is such a great partner here because it, it allows, like Apple's never going to do this on its own. And Apple does have like historians on staff and they do have archives, but... The History Museum is like not only a vehicle for these sorts of releases, but also sort of an impetus and, a, and an enabler. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I don't think on its own Apple is ever going to look backward. And that's another Steve Jobs cultural thing that they put in the, right. in the DNA there. But they do still have these things that are their property. And after a certain point, getting them out and letting them be public is really a good thing to do. So I'm very glad that they seem to be building a good relationship with the computer history museum. Maybe this is the way that other, that old Apple II stuff and the old Mac stuff eventually sees the light of day. I do think it's hysterical that in the zip files are DS store files. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't expurgate <laughs> those and they are dated March, 2020. So they've been working on this uh, for some time. Um, but those pandemic uh, project. Yeah. Somebody's pandemic project. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's really fun to fun to know that this is out here. Yeah, I think the, the, for instance, Microsoft will never release source code for Windows because there it is so encumbered. There's so many uh, third party libraries and things in there that they don't control the source. And I think to some degree, companies are are, are, are touchy about the code because uh, they don't want the f words in there, or the hallucinogens and stuff like that. So good on Apple for not being so touchy uh, about yeah and the last thing you want is to be sued by somebody who bought a company who bought a company who bought a company that whose assets are worthless but But you just posted their source code and and the patents will expire right but it's still it's it's a it's an open question Uh, and companies end up being risk averse so maybe computer history museum here you know actually went through and made sure that it was going to be okay and they they released it it's not on apple's servers apple is not doing any of that uh, but it's good. It's great news. I'm so happy that they did it. It was one of the things I think that uh, helped operating system development in general was that the original Unix operating source code, operating system source code uh, for Unix 6 was released with a commentary by John Lyons in 1976. I think a lot of people, uh, certainly Apple people who did operating system development, 
uh, had read that. I have a copy of it. It's kind of a classic, uh, and it and it really tells you a lot about what an operating system has to be and what it's required. And it was well commented and uh, and really and fairly easy to read because it's it's old. It's from the seventies. Um, so I think Apple doing the same thing for a decade later. Uh, bravo! Keep doing it. Keep releasing this yeah. stuff. Um, it was commonly, according to Wikipedia, Lyon's commentary on the Unix operating system was the most copied book in computer science. <laughs> uh, as it should be. Uh, you know, really, really, you can still buy it. I got a copy on my shelf. Uh, fascinating to read. All right, let's take a, a little tiny break and then come back with your picks of the week as we continue with Mac Break Weekly. Hey, everybody, Leo Laporte here. I am the founder and one of the hosts at the Twit Podcast Network. I want to talk to you a little bit about what we do here at Twit because I think it's unique. And I think for anybody who is uh, bringing a product or a service to a tech audience, you need to know about what we do here at Twit. We've built an amazing audience of engaged, intelligent, affluent listeners who listen to us and trust us when we recommend a product. Our mission statement is Twit is to build a highly engaged community of tech enthusiasts. Boy, already you should be your ears should be perking up at that because highly engaged is good for you. Tech enthusiasts, if that's who you're looking for, this is the place. We do it by offering them the knowledge they need to understand and use technology in today's world. And I hear from our audience all the time, part of that knowledge comes from our advertisers. We are very careful. We pick advertisers with great products, great services, with integrity, and introduce them to our audience with authenticity uh, and genuine enthusiasm. And that makes our host red ads different from anything else you can buy. We are literally bringing you to the attention of our audience and giving you a big, fat endorsement. We like to create partnerships with trusted brands, brands who are in it for the long run, long-term partners that want to grow with us. And we have so many great success stories. Tim Broom, who founded IT Pro TV in 2013, started advertising with us on day one, has been with us ever since. He said, quote, we would not be where we are today without the Twit Network. I think the proof is in the pudding. Advertisers like IT Pro TV and Audible that have been with us for more than 10 years, they stick around because their ads work. And honestly, isn't that why you're buying advertising? You get a lot with Twit. We have a very full-service attitude. We almost think of it as kind of artisanal uh, advertising, boutique advertising. You'll get a full-service continuity team. People who are on the phone with you, who are in touch with you, who support you from with everything from copywriting to graphic design. So you are not alone in this. We embed our ads into the shows. They're not... They're not added later. They're part of the shows. In fact, often they're such a part of our shows that our other hosts will chime in on the ad saying, yeah, I love that. Or just the other day, one of our hosts said, man, I really got to buy that. <laughs> That's an additional benefit to you because you're hearing people, our audience trusts saying, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, we deliver, always over deliver on impressions. So you know you're going to get the impressions you expect. The ads are unique every time. We don't pre record them and roll them in. We are genuinely doing those ads in the middle of the show. Uh, we'll give you great onboarding services, ad tech with pod sites. 
That's free for direct clients. Gives you a lot of reporting. Gives you a great idea of how well your ads are working. You'll get courtesy commercials. You actually can take our ads and share them across social media and landing pages. That really extends the reach. There are other free goodies, too, including mentions in our weekly newsletter that sent to thousands of fans, engaged fans who really want to see this stuff. We give you bonus ads and social media promotion, too. So if you want to be a long-term partner, introduce your product to a savvy, engaged tech audience. Visit twit.tv slash advertise. Check out those testimonials. Mark McCrary is the CEO of Authentic. You probably know him, one of the biggest uh, original podcast advertising companies. We've been with him for 16 years. Mark said the feedback from many advertisers over 16 years across a range of product categories everything from razors to computers, is that if ads and podcasts are going to work for a brand, they're going to work on Twitch shows. I'm very proud of what we do because it's honest, it's got integrity, it's authentic, and it really is a great introduction to our audience of your brand. Our listeners are smart, they're engaged, they're tech savvy, they're dedicated to our network, and that's one of the reasons... We only work with high-integrity partners that we've personally and thoroughly vetted. I have absolute approval on everybody. If you've got a great product, I want to hear from you. Elevate your brand by reaching out today at advertise at twit.tv. Break out of the advertising norm. Grow your brand with host red ads on twit.tv. Visit twit.tv slash advertise for more details. Or you can email us, advertise at twit.tv if you're ready to launch your campaign now. I can't wait to see your product. So give us a ring. Uh, our show today, as it often is, brought to you by our club members. Thank you, Club Twit members, for the all the contributions you make. And I invite the rest of you who are not yet Club Twit members to join. And I want to, yes, it's $7 a month, so we're asking you for money. But I think we've made it such a great val- value that I, I, I think it's worth much, much more. So let me what you, tell you what you get for $7 a month or $84 a year. You get ad-free versions of all of our shows. We don't need to put ads in the shows for you because you've you've already supported what we're doing. You're helping keep the lights on and the staff employed and the show's growing. You also get access to what I think is the most exciting community uh, in, in the world, the Club Twit Discord, a fabulous place to talk about geeky subjects, not just the shows as they're going on, uh, uh, with an, featuring animated gifs of all kinds of subjects. That's everything, everywhere, all at once, I think. But also, uh, yeah, you can talk about movies in there. You can talk about code. You can talk about autos and beer and 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 comic books and gaming because we've got subjects for everything possible that a geek might be interested in, even pets, recipes. So I think this is a great place to hang. I, I keep the Discord open Day and night. I just love hanging out in there. I think you will, too. There's also the Twit Plus feed, which features stuff that does not necessarily get released to the public. For instance, our hands-on Macintosh show, which Micah Sargent helms. Paul Thorat's Windows, uh, hands-on Windows show. We've got the Untitled Linux show. The Giz Fizz. We do events coming up February 9th. Win 2 Dow from All About Android. We'll do a fireside chat. Uh, Samable Samad coming up in March. And we're going to interview, I'm going to interview Daniel Suarez. Uh, for a special triangulation, uh, Daniel's new book is coming out, Critical Mass. It's going to be great. We love the the its predecessor, Delta V. So 
Uh, Daniel will join us, and it'll be a special discussion in the club that club members can participate in. We will release that to uh, uh, the world later. In fact, I think a segment will appear on Ask the Tech Guys that Sunday, and then we'll put it out on a triangulation. But that's what happened with This Week in Space, too. The club members paid for it. We were able to launch it there, and it, as it grew and uh, gained an audience, we were able to get advertising for it, so we were able to put it out in public. In fact, they're going video uh, pretty soon as they continue to grow. So the club is where new ideas start. It's a great way to support what we do. It really helps us out. I would, uh, you know, our Lisa and my, our dream is to to get, uh, you know, 5% of people who listen. That's all. 5% of people who listen to our shows to become club members. Uh, that would really uh, kind of take the burden off of advertising and uh, and let us do a whole lot more. So won't you join that group? Twit.tv slash club twit. Uh, it's it really helps us out a lot, and I think it's there's a lot of benefits to it as well. Oh, they now have video on the Untitled Linux show. Thank you, Patrick. See, see, there it goes. You can find me in the club. All right, pick of the week time, and let's start with Jason Snell's pick of the week. All right, uh, I mean, big news this week: all the Twitter clients are dead officially, uh, officially, so officially. So sad. And but mm. well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the nice thing, which is that has rushed into production a new app from Tapbots, the makers of uh, Tweetbot, a very, very popular third-party Twitter client. And the new app is called Ivory. It is a Mastodon client, a beautiful one from the makers of one of the best, if not the best, Twitter clients out there. It's iOS only for now, iOS and iPadOS coming to the Mac at some point here. But they got this out now because, quite frankly, they need to start uh, building a new business because their old business is gone. And it's great. I've been beta testing it for a few weeks. It is so well done. So if you're on Mastodon and you're using an iPhone or an iPad, give it a try. It is a subscription thing because they are trying to make money. This is how they stay in business. There's a seven-day free trial, though, and there's also like a test mode. I did the $25 for a year. It's, I just want to support these guys. 15 for a year, and if you want to get extras, extra extras, you can give them a little more money. And, yeah, to support some really great third-party software developers who are now building an app that is not not going to be reliant on the whims of a giant service like uh, the Twitter apps were. So Ivory, it's so it's really well done, like the fit and finish. And they, they're, I think they're almost embarrassed by it because they've rushed it into production. And it's obviously based on the source code of, of Tweetbot, but then they've really kind of merged it and changed it and done a bunch of new things with it. And I think they feel like it's too rough and it's missing features and all that. And sure, I mean, I guess... But what's there is very, very good. And so although they're, they're saying it's like early access and they're definitely going to add more features to it. I think it is my preferred way to use Mastodon right now. And if you're into Mastodon, uh, check out Ivory. One of the things that's cool about Mastodon, we have our own Mastodon instance, by the way, which Jason's on, twit.social. Uh, one of the things that's cool about Mastodon is because it's based on ActivityPub, which is an open standard itself is open uh there are a lot of third-party mastodon clients some very good ones actually i've been yeah. uh including metatext which i have been using on ios up to now um but that's all right don't worry about it but uh i think this of course everybody loves i'm so interested to see all the activity on mastodon from people saying oh it's out now i can use mastodon <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> if that's what it took i'm happy it's nice it's uh there's missing some features that other clients have, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be using it. I think it looks I mean, pretty good. 
I'm going to be that guy and say I, I think it's the best Mastodon client I've seen. And I, I, when I keep hearing about these Mastodon clients that people recommend to me, it feels to me like people are setting the bar way too low. Like I feel like the Twitter clients, Tw- Twitterific and Tweetbot really set the bar high. And I think Mastodon has spent the last few years sort of like desperate to have apps that work on Mastodon. And I think we are past that point now where they, everybody needs to up their game. Good. Yeah, Metatext is uh, great. Unfortunately, uh, the developer has stopped development on that one. So I've been looking for a replacement. <sighs> I've been using Ice Cubes, which is another new iOS app. And it's pretty sweet. They're qu- I mean, there's literally a dozen of them if you yeah. search for Mastodon on uh, on the App Store. But, of course, these guys at TapBots, nobody nobody knows how to make software. Well, a thousand flowers bloom, but you're you right. Think, yeah, I mean, these guys are just they're so good at it. Do you think yeah. Twitterific, uh, you know... Paul Haddad and uh, and uh, the Twitterific folks at Icon Factory both are saying, you know, this took us completely off guard. Um, they're begging people, do not ask for a refund. We will we'll go out of business if everybody asks for a refund. We're sorry this happened. This Twitter gave us no warning uh, and pulled the plug. And I'm glad that Tapbots is uh, moving forward with this. And I hope that uh, Icon Factory does too. I hope. Yeah. What it sounds like, Icon Factory, and I know Andy is going to uh, talk about Icon Factory here in a moment. Just a little little uh, preview for his pick, but I, I it sounds like they, um, I mean they they invented so much of Twitter, right? They invented yeah. the words tweet. They, they invented Glue Bird. Started it all. The, yeah, the whole you know they popularized the service in the early days. I think they feel so burned by this, and yet they're also. I think intrigued about the possibilities of the Fediverse. I think what's clear is that they have not rushed in to making a Mastodon knockoff of Twitterific. Uh, and and Craig Hockenberry, who started Twitterific, uh, said he's really interested in the whole idea of the broader Fediverse. So I wonder if they want to do something that is not as focused on just Mastodon, but that will let you suck in uh, information from all sorts of different federated sources and then also post to different sources that maybe have a little more, take a little more time and come up with a little more uh, you know, a different take on it. I'd, I'd love that, but I would love to see it because Twitterific has been my go-to Twitter app and one of my most used apps for the last decade, and I uh, miss it already. Yeah. So I hope they do something. Yeah. yeah. Ivory, it's nice because Tapbot's uh, Pulp, I guess, knew this was coming, so he's been working on it for a lot longer. And it's uh, it's pretty polished. It's very close to done, so I'm glad he's... So it was, for a while, it was under a test flight, but it is now you can just... It's hard to find in the it's app It's in the store. store. Uh, well, the find. Apple's... Apple search index takes a while to, to update across everything. Yeah. So direct links will get you there now, and eventually it'll show up in search. Go but to, just go to tapbots.com, and you can get it from there. That's what I ended up yeah. uh, doing. You, you, it'll link you over. Um, so go on your you know go on your phone, Safari, to tapbots.com, and go from there. Uh, eventually it'll show up, and uh, and a, a good thing. Very happy. And they're also on uh, they're on their own Mastodon server at tapbots.social. It's at yep. ivory at tapbots.social. It's really interesting to watch what's happening. The growth of the Mastodon is, is kind of amazing. Um, uh, as we've had a Mastodon instance for three years, and all of a sudden, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> whoa. Andy, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Twitterific folks, the Icon Factory folks. Yeah, absolutely, because I had the exact same sort of reaction that Jason did that uh, I mean, Twitter apps. This is one of the places where the 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 the, the app, the app studios uh, in the Apple universe are some of the most creative, insightful, elegant and artistic 
uh, app studios out there. I mean, they're not just, hey, let's we do a scrolling. Well, let's let's just put a scrolling list into a view. When you tap an item in the list, you open an expanded view. Boom, done. Ship it. Charge ten bucks for it. They really find elegance and uh, purpose to every single thing they do. So I was they 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 had their own post uh, on their own blog about uh, same thing. Like, hey, we we. This took us completely by surprise. We had no idea this was going. Twitterific has gone to the great birdhouse in the sky, and they said on their blog post. And it immediately made me figure out, I need to give these people some money for something right now, basically to show them how much I love them. And I was surprised, and I, it was not hard to find something to, to buy. Uh, I made taught uh, a pick of the week a long time ago because it's one of my favorite, probably my only really favorite menu bar app. It is a simple, like eight page text notepad that lives inside your uh, inside your menu bar, which means that it's available everywhere and it's synced across all of your Mac devices. So and it's, it's so many times where you just need to t- to you just need to to, to type down. Someone's going to give you a, a, an address over the phone. You just need an, a text container to type that into or uh, you have a, or your uh, one of the pot, one of the uh, shows that you do has switched to a Zoom ISO, and now you have to remember a code that you have to type in every single. Did you week. taught us? And you need to have that. And, and, and well, yeah, the th- it won't it won't autofill, so I have to like keep it handy. So I because yeah. I, I swear the first two times that I was, I was like five minutes late, it was because oh damn, it's a, I know it's in an email. It's oh, why didn't I save it someplace? Uh, and it's just. And it's so it's so clean and it's so handy. It is no bigger than it has to be, no more complicated than it has to be. And it's free for Macs. The, the Mac version, which you get through the App Store, absolutely free. They charge 20 bucks all uh, all in forever uh, for the iOS, iPadOS version. And I didn't I never bought it simply because I don't have an iPhone and I have an iPad, but I don't use it that way. And of course, like just a few days ago, I, of course, shelled out 20 bucks for the iOS version of Todd because I wanted to give them some money. Uh, and it is great as soon as as soon as I installed it immediately, like, no, you need to you need to connect to this. You need to use this magic token. It's like, oh, I open the app and now it has all of my my eight pages of tote notes. And ah, that's so perfect. Again, simple, elegant, beautiful. Can't wait to see what they have going next. They have some other cool apps that uh, that I don't have as much experience with as taught. Uh, but uh, it's one of those it's one of those few app companies where whenever they come out with something new, I'm interested in checking out because it's going to be something interesting. Taught, but uh, yeah, we had uh, Craig Hockenberry on uh, Tech News Weekly on Thursday. Mike interviewed him. Really interesting guy, uh, and uh, the story is tragic, but uh, I hope that TapBots and Icon Factory and all the other third-party uh, developers find a new uh, way forward. And the good news is Icon Factory does have a lot of these great apps, so visit iconfactory.com. Yeah. yeah. And Their taught. linear sketch app for the iPad is amazing. If oh. you like to draw on your iPad, they have oh, so nice. many apps. It's yeah, throw them some money. Yeah, and they're really uh, you know they're designers first, as the name might tell you, Icon Factory, and so the, all their stuff is gorgeous, just gorgeous. Speaking of gorgeous, Alex Lindsay has a pick of the week. <laughs> yeah, so um, two days left on the Affinity sale. Um, so they have a sale that right now that you, I think you can get 40% off. It's $99 total for designer, uh, publisher, and photo. And this is what I'm using 99% of the time. There are a handful of things in Photoshop that I still go back to because I've been using it for 30 years, not because it's not in Affinity Photo. Right. I just can't find it. Um, but <laughs> otherwise, you know, uh, I got actually into Affinity Photo um, because it had a, it had a very rare little thing that I could take spherical images and put them into a 360 sphere and be able to 
paint things out. And the reason for that is you're trying to paint tripods out of uh, spherical images. And so I used it. I, that's how I started using it. But now I use it for almost everything. So, um, so when I'm building something, when I'm putting something together, um, I'm using photo mostly. Uh, I, I use a little bit of uh, designer. I haven't needed to publish very many things. So I still, um, so I don't use publisher as much, but, um, but what I would say is that it's a, it's a really solid product. There's a lot of things about it that are faster than Photoshop. And for $99, you're getting three different apps. And um, it's, uh, I, you know, probably am in photo at least once a day to, 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 to do something or to make something work. So, um, so it's a great, it's a great product. Um, and it's uh, 40% off uh, for the next, and it's not a subscription. It's just a one-off $99 and you have, this is the the second version or whatever. And, um, so I, uh, but I'm a pretty long-term user and I, I think it's worth the, I have to say the ability to be able to do this on an iPad, uh, is fantastic. It makes, I mean, the iPad, especially if an iPad pro is such a great tool for photographers and, uh, thanks, you know, to a few programs, but affinity photos, absolutely. The, the, the yeah. Photoshop equivalent. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Good. Uh, through January 25th, 40% off. We're supporting some good in, indie developers here today. I like that. Very nice. <laughs> Thank you, uh, everybody, for being here. Jason Snell is at, of course, sixcolors.com. Sixcolors.com slash sixcolors.com slash Jason will give you a long list of all the things he does. He's the hardest working man in show business. Uh, it's great to have you on, Jason. I appreciate <laughs> Always it. Always great to be here at the end of a very busy <laughs> six days of just me and a, me and a laptop. Yeah, locked read in a his room. review. Read his review. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, well worth uh, well worth reading. And even I think you even filed while we were doing the show today. Oh, Dan did that. Okay, bad eye for you. All right. <laughs> I, I like, multitask, but not I, that much. I like Micah getting a little a little plug. On here, that's nice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Dan. Uh, how's the baby, by the way? Is he doing? Is he doing well? I think so. I mean, we managed to do a live stream for an hour yesterday, and awesome. there was no baby crying in the background. So, I mean, progress. Good, 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 good. Yeah, watch that live stream as as Dan and Jason uh, break down their uh, reviews of their M2 MacBook Pro and their M2 Mac Mini. That's on uh, YouTube. What's the name of that YouTube channel? Six Colors. Easy to remember. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Andy, when are you going to be on GBH next? Uh, this Friday at 1230 in the afternoon, Eastern time. Uh, you can go to WGBHnews.org to listen to it live or later. I believe it's also going to be on the on the GBH YouTube channel. So WGBH News on YouTube. Uh, and if you're in Boston, head on over to the Boston Public Library because we're doing it live in the Boston Public Library studios with this big cafe around it. So buy yourself a cup of coffee, a cookie and enjoy. Yay. Inatco.com. I H N A T. Just down the street from the, just down the street from the Apple store. Yes. <laughs> and uh Alex Lindsay, you find him every morning at officehours.global. Uh every day it's uh, a new day with office hours with new content. Uh you can uh, join the Zoom call or just watch their videos uh on the website or on YouTube. Today, playoff graphics. We were looking at the playoff graphics from the you know the last couple of weekends, and we were kind of breaking it down. So we were kind of talking about what it takes to do them, how it works. Oh, I um, have to watch you know, that. Like, and, That's and what's funny great. is I, I gathered a whole bunch of stuff, and we barely got through any of it. We were just so many questions and chatting. And, and the thing is, is when you, you know your audience is is deep. When we went, um, yeah, I'm not sure what they use here. You know, this is the, the there was an AR thing that was sitting on the on the. Uh, 
they were sitting on the field, you know, one of those new things where the 3D is on the field. And uh, and I'm I'm talking about that, and someone in the in the chat goes, uh, "Yeah, that was a Cinema 4D that was driven into a, a Vizart." Oh my like, god! Like, like listed, just list exactly <laughs> how how it's actually done. And so it's it it, it is a it's a very interesting, um, such an interesting group because you know the the folks in the chat sometimes know more than the panel, and the panel is answering all the questions, and then there's tons of people asking. It's it's a it's a very um, uh, organic thing. I so, am sad so yeah, to have, say that the NFL has. Uh... Has knocked you off the YouTube. Yeah, I'm sure we knew it would. We, we told it was inevitable. I looked at it. I thought, how did like, they get away with this? No, we didn't. We didn't get it. Yeah, so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see how much we can put back up. Or we'll put it somewhere, <laughs> somewhere else. Yeah, but the, yeah um, you got to do what we conversation. do. Yeah, not tell anybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and the um, we when we do them, we know that we'll get through the live. We just don't know if we'll get right. through the the post. Right. Um, and so the uh, and then but tomorrow we've got Gary Trenda from Sound Devices. He uh, manages their RF application. So if you're interested in wireless, this is probably you know one of the world experts in wireless mics and wireless transmission. Um, is going to be um, you know is going to be on the show and answering people's questions about your wireless uh, transmitters. So um, so it should nice. be very geeky. Last yeah. yesterday was a focus on sales, so they cover all kinds, <laughs> no, all kinds it, of and stuff. Then, <laughs> I'm speaking. I'm speaking at the Silicon Valley video thing on 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 Thursday. It's a new new conference, and um, I'm actually going. It's my first time I've been to a conference in a couple of years, and um, yeah, but we're going to cover that on Friday. So so nice. we're kind of you know the gamut of covering the conferences, talking about sales, talking about you know all those things. So it's a good week. And last week you talked to Renee Ritchie about YouTube. So that's a good Renee one. was on. That's a good yeah, one. Officehours.global. If you want to hire Alex, zero nine zero. Dot media. That's his uh, day job. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Jason. Thanks to all of you for joining us. We do Mac Break Weekly on a Tuesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1900 UTC. You can watch or listen live at live.twit.tv. Uh, chat live at irc.twit.tv. Club members, of course, can chat with us in our Discord. Uh, for more information, twit.tv slash club twit. After the fact, on-demand versions of the show available at the website, twit.tv slash mbw. There's a YouTube channel dedicated to Mac Break Weekly. Uh, there's also, uh, of course, uh, probably the easiest way to do it is subscribe. You'll see big subscribe buttons on our website or just open up your favorite podcast client and search for twit or Mac Break Weekly and you can get it automatically the minute it's available. We thank you so much for listening or watching, and we hope we'll see you next week. But now I'm sad to say I've got to tell you to get back to work because break time is over. Bye-bye. Hey, we should talk Linux. It's the operating system that runs the Internet, but your game consoles, cell phones, and maybe even the machine on your desk. You already knew all that. What you may not know is that TwitNow is a show dedicated to it, the Untitled Linux Show. Whether you're a Linux pro, a burgeoning sysadmin, or just curious what the big deal is, you should join us on the Club Twit Discord every Saturday afternoon for news, analysis, and tips to sharpen your Linux skills. And then make sure you subscribe to the Club Twit exclusive Untitled Linux Show. Wait, you're not a Club Twit member yet? Well, go to twit.tv slash club twit and sign up. Hope to see you there. <laughs>